No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules. And at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to another edition of BOA, The Revival. And tonight we've got a, a, a very special guest, I guess you could say, here on the show, a good friend of mine. Um, and in the interest of full transparency, we're actually taping this show not even not even in the middle of December, uh, around a couple of days before the middle of December, December 12th, the evening of. And uh, but you're hearing this at the beginning of 2024. So we're in kind of a weird it's kind of a weird liminal episode in a lot of ways, which is good because this is kind of like the perfect guy for kind of weird liminal episode. Uh, and I'm talking about <laughs> that's a compliment. I hope you realize. Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> um, if anyone could appreciate the liminality of all this, it would be you is what I'm trying to say. And uh, the you being uh, our friend Matt Hopewell, uh, also known as AP Strange. Uh, you probably know him from social media. He's got a big presence on the formerly known as Twitter uh, X. I don't like calling it X. We'll just say Twitter. Um, under the name AP Prodigiosis. Uh, but you probably, uh, I think it just comes up as AP Strange now on there. And that's kind of uh, his his brand, if you will. You can find out more from him at APStrange.com. He's got a fantastic blog. Uh, the blog posts on there are, they're really amazing. I got to tip my cap to you, Matt. They're really fantastic. I've spent the weekend hey. reading through them. And they're just so detailed and so uh, well-researched. And it's just a... They're a real, a real pleasure to uh, to sort of immerse yourself into those blog posts and read them. So uh, I highly recommend folks check that out. So uh, he was actually the guest on, I guess you could say, the last BOA before the revival. Matt was afraid that we that he killed Ben All of America. No, it wasn't anything like that. It was just uh, that whole yeah, last. I closed out the winter of weirdness, and then you just didn't come back for a while. So yeah, uh, I was just like, ah, oh, fuck this. No, I lie. It was, it was blog talk it was the old setup it was kind of like it was just i i think that uh, the winter of weirdness kind of convinced me that like this the old method was just had become unsustainable at that point and i was so frustrated and i'm like i don't know we gotta we gotta like really step back and figure this all out so uh but now he's back so it's kind of fitting in a way it's poetic he's back here to uh join in on the revival after helping us close out the winter of weirdness uh, he's a good friend. He's a Massachusetts guy. We've hung out on multiple occasions here in the Bay State and around New England, weird areas. So welcome back to the show, Matt. It's great to be able to uh, chat with you again tonight. Well, hey, it's great to be here. And uh, thanks for your kind words and everything. It's it's always fun to talk to you. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, well, uh, I had a good time last time you were on the show. And, uh, you know, you were on, definitely on the list of folks to get back on but all of America once we got up and running and everything. And like I said, this is weirdly the first episode in a way of 2024. So I won't be like really thanking you like, well, how are your holidays? So, (laughs) 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 well, we're time traveling here too. And it's almost like, it's almost like the last couple of years didn't happen. They're they're off the, they're off the books of been all of America. So (laughs) (laughs) closed out the winter weirdness and now we're back. It's 2024. As far as I'm concerned. I do do a little bit of time traveling myself, so uh, it's fitting. It works. There you go. Yeah. Well, I think psychologically, a lot of us kind of like almost by this time of year, certainly by the 26th, you kind of just throw the, the year out. At the end. You know, it's like, all right, you know what? It's done. It's just done. So. Well, it's kind of like when you have a birthday coming up and you, you kind of get confused about how old you are. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. You're just like, well, I mean, uh, basically, like, whatever the next year is, because... Right, yeah, yeah. Like, once the month starts, like, yeah, well, I'm pretty much that, so let's not, you know, we're not going to yeah. hang, unless you're, unless it's like you're about to turn 40 or about to turn 50 or something, then you're like, you hang on as long as you can. Right, to, uh... yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody's too eager to hold on to 2023. It wasn't particularly special as a year, but I, I think we're on an upward swing. <laughs> yeah well we'll see i mean this time next year we could be in 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 the throes of despair depending on how the election goes so it's you know yeah. i'm anticipating an extremely stressful irritating year um but we'll we'll see you know hope springs eternal right hope well hope <laughs> springs eternal from the well of hope well we kind right, of you yeah. can tie that in somehow into into like a yeah. concept album or something like that well, when I was a kid, it was always, hope you don't hope well, hope well, which I don't know if that was supposed to be an insult or something. It was just a play on my name, but. <laughs> yeah, that's just weird. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been up to since we talked to you last March? Anything particularly exciting? I know I saw you at the International Cryptozoology Museum uh, back in September. Um, have you been on any crazy adventures uh, in the last? Because you're you're kind of like a legend tripper of of New England. You do stop at a lot of interesting and cool places uh, in the area. So have you, you seen anything particularly interesting since the last time we chatted back in March? Well, um, it's funny because I was about to say in 2024 we may see an uptick in clowns because like the last real significant clown wave was um, during the 2016 cycle, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, during the 2016 election, yeah. So, um, and I was anticipating more of them around 2020, but we got a pandemic instead. So, <laughs> right, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we may see more of it. But since since you're since you're asking about places I've visited, it occurred to me this past year um, that the Phantom Clown sightings, the the original Phantom Clowns, as reported by our friend Lauren Coleman. Uh, we're in the Boston area and uh, it never occurred to me to try to kind of track down the areas where those reports first came from. Uh, but nowadays I find myself in Boston a lot more often for work and personal reasons. And I'm more familiar with the area. So it kind of hit me like around the anniversary, what would have been the anniversary of the original phantom clown wave of the early eighties. I, I decided to go out there and, um, do some clown magic at uh, Franklin Park. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was some legend tripping there. So I, I found what I decided was the clown portal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did anyone see you in the midst of your clown magic? Like, was anyone walking by and look well, over at you and be like, yeah, "Did you well, actually?" Maybe you were like the clown. It, it sort yeah. of self perpetuates in a way. Maybe someone walking by was like. Was that a fucking clown? Because you were clown, yeah. clowned out, right? Yes. Well, I, I mean, I didn't have a wig, but um, so, so my preparations were I went to the uh, costume store in Cambridge, I believe it is. And uh, there's like a thrift store and a costume store there. It's like Boston, Boston Costume Company or something like that. So I yeah. got myself a brand new clown nose there. Um it was much better than the one I had because I had like a heavy duty foam one. And this was like that, uh, that lightweight foam that you can breathe through. So it was much better. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't um, know they were, 
different cl- styles of clown nose. All right, yeah. Oh yeah, I you know I'm sense. a connoisseur yeah. of clown noses, so you got you have hey, to know yeah. these things when you're a fan of clown hunter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so and I also bought myself a rubber chicken while I was there. Uh, I figured right, that would right. be important because it's um, the whole thing with clown magic is you gotta you gotta subvert expectations. So normally with some magic rituals, you'd have to sacrifice an animal, so you'd have to actually do oh, away with a chicken. So in this case, I'm subverting that and buying a chicken, and it's just a rubber chicken, like a gag chicken. So um, (laughs) that was my whole plan there. Um, And it it kind of serendipitously worked out that after after stopping in this place, um, the route we took to get to the park ended up taking us kind of along the sequential route of where the Phantom Clowns were seen. So we had to go through like Brookline and that's where some of the original reports were the very first ones and uh, down into Franklin Park. And we ended up getting there just before the park was closing for the day. So we had like 20 minutes to do it. (laughs) So there weren't many people at the park, but um, the few that were there were definitely chuckling at me when they saw me like jogging down the path with a rubber chicken and a clown nose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, I'm telling you, you, you perpetuated the cycle of clown, the clown cycle. Right. It did occur to me. I'm like, uh, you know, maybe somebody's going to report this now. It's going to pop up in like, a, um, you know, local Roxbury Facebook page. Like, I just saw some dude in the yeah, yeah, yeah. clown nose running through the Front park. Door, yeah. <laughs> well, but, that's yeah, wild. Yeah. I remember you. That was a fun one that, for yeah. me. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, I was just saying, yeah, that's wild. I remember when you when you did that uh, earlier in the year. Um, well, it's interesting. Yeah, a lot of there's there's a lot of places. I was talking to you in September about this. Uh, Josh Cutchin and I tried to find the Dover Demon Rock, and mm-hmm. it's like we actually we spent probably like ninety minutes fucking looking for that rock from the iconic picture uh, of the Dover Demon on the rock. Um, because Nate Brislin found it, okay. um, but he couldn't recall where. And uh, I, I shake my fist at Nate. He didn't write down the coordinates or anything. He just kind of like found it, took a picture, and fucking left. And it was like, well, where was it, dude? And he's like, uh, I don't remember. I don't think he was like keeping it a secret. I just think he doesn't remember. So we walked down along the road where the Dover Demon was spotted, and it just all looks like kind of familiar and it was early September. So it was late summer Mm. and there was still a lot of grass and everything. And I was saying to you, we should go sometime. I don't know, like after winter or something shortly after winter, like in March or something and try and find that rock. Cause it's a couple of like significant things you can kind of find that you'll know you're at the right rock. Uh, There's Mm. like a stump in front of where the rock was. And it's a very, weird you can kind of identify the wall from looking at the wall but yeah i'm sure we'll find it yeah what yeah the original sighting was in was it in the winter time that it was originally seen i think it might i don't recall i don't recall but probably yeah probably um actually no i think it was like in april i want to say because i had thought about going out there for the anniversary but it wouldn't have made any difference because i don't know where the fucking thing is So, so i just know it's on a crazy busy road. Uh, See, that's Kutch and I, yeah, Kutch and I were with no sidewalks or anything, and and Kutch and I were like, 
this is dangerous, dude. Like, this is, we're, every time a car came, we'd, like, get way over to the side of the road, because it was like, this is really fucking, they're whipping down this road. And I'm like, holy fuck, dude. I'm like, we're going to get hit by a fucking car looking for the Dover Demon Rock. It's like the worst slash best way to die, in a way. This would be fucking forever connected to the Dover Demon mythos. Lauren Coleman would have a field day. He'd love it. Right, yeah, they did a big blog post about the dread synchronicities around the Dover Demon and looking for the rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we should. Well, that's why that. I, I was recommending Ponyhenge, which is way closer to you. I'm sure you've been there, right? I have not been to Ponyhenge. Is that where is that? It's in, um, it's in Lincoln. Oh, where the where the De Cordova is? Yeah, it's really not far from the De Cordova Art Museum. Oh, weird. Well, we um, next time we come down for De Cordova, we'll go check out Ponyhenge. Yeah, you have to see Ponyhenge. It's a magical place. And uh, for the listeners here, Ponyhenge is just a bunch of rocking horses and hobby horses and toy horses in a field. It's like a farmer's field. Yeah. And um, like, I guess somebody left one there once, and then they just started multiplying over time. People kept bringing more, but they seem wow. to rearrange themselves, and it's. <laughs> There is something weird about it. It's kind of a roadside. Oh, it's definitely America. weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a roadside America aspect to it, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's paranormal. But the first time I went there, uh, it had just snowed, and it was kind of weird because like the fence had an inch of snow on it, and a lot on none of the ponies had any snow on them. Oh, <laughs> like they had been moving and shaking off or something. Yeah. <laughs> And they were all arranged in a circle, but you know, I don't know what they were, how they were arranged prior to that, but there weren't any footprints out there or anything. You would have seen it in the snow. So Right, right, yeah. Really kind of weird. <laughs> I'm sure it's eerie as hell. Like just just imagining it is eerie as hell. Uh, yeah. but being there in the in the moment is I'm sure pretty creepy as it is. Yeah. I've been to Rabbit Henge in California, which is a art yeah. installation that is a bunch of rabbits, giant rabbits, like in a circle, similar concept, if you will, but this is like in an office park somewhere, so it's not as uh, creepy, I don't think. Yeah, I've seen the photos of it, and honestly, I didn't get a creepy vibe from um, from Ponyhenge. I was like no, smiling the whole time. It was like wow, a, right. wonder, a wonder vibe. You're like, this is so cool. <laughs> this is a magical spot. It just felt so whimsical and, and strange. And my dog no. wasn't freaked out by it. He just, I guess he thought he was a pony too. He just kind of hung out. <laughs> That's a good barometer of what, of what is, uh, of what's creepy, I guess. Right. The dog oh, yeah. kind of acts as the canary in the coal mine of, of creepiness. Yep. For sure. Has Bernie ever given that kind of vibe when something, when you're in a place? Cause I know you take him to a lot of places when you guys go out and about. Um, well, I don't know. I think he gets freaked out. He gets freaked out by stupid things. I mean, yeah, don't <laughs> <he's>, we all? <laughs> he's got a very small brain, so um, it, normally, I guess, what sets him off is is a uh, sense outside. And every once in a while, you'll see like his hackles go up, and he'll start growling and barking, and you know he smells something. And uh, ah. around where I live, we do have like coyotes and fisher cats and stuff, so I imagine he can smell that. And he gets freaked out. But um, no, I've never really seen him freak out about a place that we've taken him to necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. But, That's uh, yeah. yeah. I was thinking this while I was thinking about talking to you. Have you ever gone on a ghost hunt? Uh, you know, not 
not like in any substantive uh, substantive way like not yeah. uh with a group or with people um you know I, i've gone to places that are allegedly haunted i've kind of done my own sorts of just kind of feeling out the location but i don't yeah yeah i don't have any equipment or anything other than right right usually what i'd bring with me is a pendulum that's about it so <laughs> that's yeah well, I'm not. I'm a ludite anyway, so the equipment part is to me is just like I don't. I'm probably gonna break it, so I don't want to hold the thing or <laughs> anything like that. Yeah, I got a pendulum. I got dowsing rods now. I haven't really had a chance to use those, so I'd I'd be willing to try that out. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like visiting places where something historical happened, or going to find a place like. Uh, over the summer I was in Rockport, Maine camping and there was the location kind of on a peninsula in Rockport where, um, Andrea Paharich had his laboratory and the round oh, table wow. foundation. And that was like yeah. where, where they originally contacted the nine <laughs> and all that. So I wanted to find this place, but it's kind of like, it's barricaded inside of, um, gated, gated communities and like rich people houses and stuff like that and there's yeah. signs up like residents only I'm like i don't think i'm gonna risk getting arrested to try to find where andrea perharch's old weird house is <laughs> yeah it's like spiritualists do not enter we know you're we know you're right. visiting here yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah, I like finding spots like that. Like anywhere I go, I can usually come up with something really weird or really obscure to go look at. And um, and often it's off the beaten path and you're not in a crowd of people, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was yeah, in Salem. Yeah, I try to do that too. Go ahead. Yeah, I was in Salem recently. And I know you've been here before too, the, um, the uh, Spirit Board Museum in Salem. I have not been to the Spirit Board Museum actually. Uh, oh, we had talked about it for Paramania, but there was just only so much time, and uh, I just didn't get the chance to check it out. It was that or the Pirate Museum, and I figured uh, I enjoyed the Pirate Museum so much in, in Cape Cod. They have a, this is a spinoff of that, so I'm like, well, this is really informative, so I kind of ushered people towards that. We didn't have time for the Talking Board Museum, but tell me talk, tell me about it, because now, next time I well, go to San Juan, maybe I'll check it out. Um, it's, it, it's really cool, because... Uh, uh, my wife and I went there around our anniversary, so we got married on Halloween. Right. So, and people from Massachusetts know that's probably the worst time to go to Salem, really. Oh, God, yeah. Like the week of Halloween. Um, but I had taken the day off from work, and we were supposed to go to a concert in Beverly, which isn't far from there. And uh, the concert got canceled. So, we, you know, I already had the day off. I'm like, well, like, screw it. Let's just go to Salem anyway. Maybe it won't be that bad in the middle of the week. You know, it's probably just on the weekends and at night that it's really bad. And, um, yeah, there still were a ton of people there, but it was manageable. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and but that was that's why the ta the Spirit Board Museum was so cool, because it was kind of like people weren't necessarily going there. Right. People, right. Were, people were mobbing like the um, the wax museums and the witch dungeon and the graveyard sites and all these places. And we got right into the, the spirit board museum and we're just there talking to the owner and he's the only one in nice. there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, he's got to collect all the spirit boards. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
and um really cool guy uh but that was nice it's like in the back of a store so you have to walk through a store and then pay admission to go into the back room and that's where the museum is right right so um all kinds of ouija boards and different like knockoff ouija boards has the original printing plate for the old uh, parker brothers ouija boards that were made oh wow yeah nice hanging on the wall um i bought one there i got this it's a osiris board <laughs> it's a, a oh vintage. wow well it's an early 80s like uk uh egyptian themed board so did you see the news this year about the uh about the jesus ouija board yes yeah i saw yeah. that yeah some uh some wacky group came out with a jesus ouija board uh it's essentially a Ouija board, but it's like you can talk to Jesus with it. That's like, all the, you know, it's decorated like all heavenly and shit. And then yeah. some pastor was like, no, don't I'm like, no. He like fucking comes running in the in the virtual room. It was like, no, stop, yeah. stop. This is you can't talk to Jesus with this. It was like, oh, that's shit, how you talk to. Uh, yeah, that's how you talk to air quotes, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're kind of genius, like, in their average time. They're, like, guaranteed contact with Jesus. It was like, oh, shit, dude. They, they got, these people are attempting fate with this shit right away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Have, I you, ever that done, have do. you ever done a Ouija board? Yeah. Have you used a Ouija board? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, not not an official one. Um, so when I was when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in a house that had all kinds of weird paranormal activity. Uh, talked about it a little bit the first time I was on. Okay. Yeah. W- when I was um, when I was in my teens, like going into my teen years, preteen and teen years, uh, there was a lot of poltergeist activity at my house, and a lot of it was centered around myself and my cousin. Yeah. So my mom ran kind of a daycare at the house, which really was just composed of my brother and I and my three cousins. And then two of my friends started coming over every day too. So it was a whole bunch of kids running around. Yeah. God bless Uh, her. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, my three cousins are more like sisters to me than cousins because we pretty much grew up together. They were there every day. But um, uh, we had wanted to bring an Ouija board in and my, my buddy had one. And his parents were um, atheists that were that probably thought it was just quaint that he wanted one, and they're like, "Oh, isn't yeah. that funny?" You know, my, yeah, my yeah, mom yeah. was a Catholic, however, and she's like, "You're not bringing one of those into the house." <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we did is we made one out of construction paper. Uh, we, we we got the design, like snuck the instructions for the Ouija board in, which had a picture of it, so we were able right, to copy right. that all onto a piece of construction paper. And then we used a magnifying glass as the planchette. Oh, and, nice. uh, yeah. And we were too chicken shit to do a spirit contact with the lights out. And it was the middle of the afternoon. And uh, <laughs> so in order to make the room dark, you had to like really close all the blinds. So what we did is we closed one, the blinds on one window and we closed the blinds in the room next to us. But the the main blinds that were close to us we left like halfway down. There you go. Yeah. So, so it was like dim in there, but it wasn't dark. You know, <laughs> it was a little dimmer, but it was still pretty much daylight. So we um, said, like, if there's a spirit present, give us a sign. And those blinds that we left up to let the light in fell down. Wow. And, dark. and uh, 
I, you know, I had just, I had just enough time to think like, oh, that's gravity. It just let go and it fell. Um, and the blinds in the other room went up as though somebody had pulled the string and pulled them up. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> wild. Yeah. Shit. Did everyone freak out? They must have. Um, well, you'd think so, but we, there was a lot of weird stuff that happened at that house. We just kind of took right. it as, okay, then. <laughs> I guess yeah. we are doing this in the dark and, uh, you know, I, I guess that's a sign. I guess we got what we asked for, but, um, yeah, I mean, there was always stuff moving around in that house. So that was, that was less scary than a lot of other stuff that happened. <laughs> so Do you think that's what kind of lit the fuse for you to be interested in all this weird stuff? Yeah, pretty much. Um, like my earliest recollections are of actually, you know, um, I was probably a toddler, you know, when, when I, when I saw luminous entities and, and spoke with them in the room, you know, Oh wow, yeah. Um, and, and, uh, I wrote that up on my blog because I got tired of telling the story, Right. <laughs> but I did tell it on this show too. So yeah, I think but, we covered it on the show. I still am blown away by the weirdness of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, because there was multi-levels to it. You know, it was a spirit contact, or so it seemed, some kind of entity contact, and um, also involved, like, an out-of-body experience and and a premonition of the future, which the premonition part is the part that, that proved it to me, you know? Yeah. Um, so um, that's the part that really stuck with me. So as a small kid, it was like my mom had, like, the Mysteries of the Unexplained from Reader's Digest volume, uh, oh, yeah, those were awesome. yeah and I, I read that thing cover to cover so many times um and so i, I mean i was well versed in in all kinds of stuff by the time i was in my preteens, <laughs> and i'd watch like unsolved mysteries and sightings i was a huge fan of sightings when that started sightings out. was great yeah. yeah sightings was like yeah sightings was like they took the best of unsolved mysteries and just did the show just did that as a show. Like, yeah. I remember when I would watch Unsolved Mysteries as a kid, I'd be like, who gives a fuck about this guy that was murdered? I want to see more about the abominable snowman. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's go back to the Queen Mary. Are there any new ghost sightings on that old ghost ship? I want to see that, you know? But, right, right. Yeah. But I remember being a kid and being like, I want to be a parapsychologist when I grow up, you know? Yeah. I, I always put it this way. Like when I watched Ghostbusters as a kid, and the be very beginning of Ghostbusters where Peter Bankman's doing the psychic test with the Zenner cards. Yeah, yeah. Like, I recognized the Zenner cards. I knew what those were when I was watching oh, that wow. as a kid. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's legit. Those are actual psychic testing devices. They're called Zenner <laughs> cards, you know? So. Well, it's just, yeah. We're about, I think we talked about this on the show last time where we can always sort of reach other go. But it's just interesting that we're about the same age. It's just so weird to like look back on how marginalized this stuff was uh, when we were kids. And now it's just really, I wouldn't call it mainstream, but it's like, it's kind of, I don't know if I made this comparison when I talked to you, but I've made it plenty of times on the show. It's kind of like been lifted up in a lot of ways alongside sort of like geek culture in a way. It's uh, like the paranormal is, at least if you're into it, people don't necessarily kind of look at you askance as much as they did in the past. It's sort of like, okay, that's your odd interest, you know, because yeah. I'm into comic, like people are into comic books or whatever. I'm not, but, uh, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's like, it, there seems to be almost like a weird general acceptance of like, look, if you're into something weird, that's cool. 
people don't, you know, they may well, not engage with you on it, but they're, they don't necessarily shit on you for it either, which is a nice change of pace. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, the downside is they engage with you on it in a very superficial level. And I try to right, restrain right. myself on that because there's a very real danger. And I think that's an apt comparison where you talk about uh, things that were niche geek topics that are now so mainstream. I mean, like, look at Star Trek. You, right, you yeah. see, if, you're, if you were a Trekkie, you were like the lowest rung of nerds. Yes. You're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you were there with like the D&D playing group and like D&D was maybe a little cooler than Star Trek when we were kids, you know? Um, yeah. Now all that stuff has like a cachet of coolness to it. That's like. That's, look at Star, know, how many Star Trek series are there on right now? Like there's three different ones that are, they're currently making, you know? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody talks about it. And everybody loves it. Like it wasn't always that way. I mean, I used to wear a Star Trek pin as a kid and get punched for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, it, it is kind of like that because now where you see people kind of, uh, people trying to experience it for the first time and, and they're enthusiastic and they want to get into UFOs or they want to get into witchcraft and, or they want to get into uh, ghost hunting because of things they saw on TV or because of the congressional hearings or because of witch talk or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to be like dismissive of that, but that's really the same thing as being, uh, you know, the hipster who's mad that everybody likes his band that the right, band that, yeah. that that he only knew about before. Like, oh, I liked them when they were only releasing demos and they <laughs> before right, the right. big album came out. You guys are just you guys are just posers now. Like, I feel like there's a very real danger of some of us old heads kind of being dismissive of people that just want to have a legitimate interest in the topic and get involved. So yeah, that, yeah. there has to be a balance where you like kind of. Um, welcome in the new people and try to try to inspire them the right way, you know. But it can be frustrating because I know that I've had tons of coworkers kind of glean that I love the UFO subject, and they're like, "Hey, man, the government just said UFOs are real." And I'm yeah, like, yeah. No, they didn't. I don't have time to get into this at work. <laughs> that's the exact. Yeah, that's the, took the words right out of my mouth. It's right. like I don't have time. To explain to you, and and not and obviously not you. He's a theoretical hypothetical people, and it's like it's not even a slam or a diss or a gatekeeping or anything. Like it's just the further you get into this topic, these topics, the more complex they get. Like all right. the original ideas that you have completely go out the wayside once you dig into it more. Um, even if something as simple as Bigfoot, where it's like, oh, it's just a ape thing that they haven't found right. yet, and it's yeah. like, oh, not so fast. There's you know, about a half dozen possible explanations for this thing, and yeah. some of them are even weirder, believe it or not, than the possibility that there's a bipedal ape walking around. Yeah. If you, if you can I mean, believe that. Like, that's the stuff that um, I think you and I are on the same page with this, that we want the, like, weirder than weird. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. So it just hit us with the basic theory, because we want weirder than weird at this point. We've been looking at this for a long time, you know? Right, right, exactly, yeah, yeah. I think that's the challenge in a lot of ways. We're both good friends with Steve Berg. That's why I kind of hold Steve Berg right. up as sort of a, um, you know, I try to I try to draw from his sense of wonder in a way. Yeah, thank God. 
Because like I'm, I've grown so cynical and 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 uh, hardened over the years yeah. of looking at all this, and I, you know, you you still have quite a sense of wonder still as well. I mean, I have a sense of wonder, but it's it's, it's been beaten down by by twenty plus years of doing this shit. But it's it's uh, I do it's, publicly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hard. That's I think that's for me the hardest part in encountering someone who's sort of like new to all this, where it's just like, uh, slow your roll, because you're in for a world of like of, of frustration and disappointment. So right. it's it's yeah. an awesome world that you're gonna be getting into, but it's it's just it's just a you have to learn to let go of the desire to know. And once yep. you let go of that desire to know, then you'll learn all kinds of crazy shit and you know, you'll just keep going down the rabbit hole of weird. Right. And I mean, that is that that is a very profound thing that you just said. It ties, you know, that almost sounds like a Zen sort of thing. Like, if you want to know more, you have to stop wanting to know more. <laughs> almost. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, you have to, to stop your point, trying to solve. Like, yeah, you have yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah. You be comfortable with the mystery, really, is what it is. Exactly, so, yeah. Um, that was one thing this summer that I was pretty excited about was I got to do a presentation for uh, the conference that Ryan Sprague put together, Anomicon, and that was kind of... My whole idea with that was using the UFO mystery as an example of a way of uh, accessing the mystery school tradition in, like, magic and occultism. Yeah, and it's exactly what you just said. You said it in a couple words, and I I spent twenty minutes and did a bunch of magic tricks to try to illustrate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, but that's what it is. It's like there's an for all of us. There's an initiatory event, and we're mesmerized by the glamour of it, you know, um, and the wonder of it, and we think, well, I'm going to figure this out, or I'm yeah. going to have this special knowledge once I do figure it out. And there's something special about me or there's something special about this experience I had. And the people that cling on to that really kind of end up miserable a lot of the time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But that, what, what ends up happening to most of us is we get our hopes crushed, but then we find something else to get wondrous about, or like yeah. we lose the thread with something we've been researching and it seems hopeless. And then one day out of the blue, it comes back. Like you get a new clue. And you're on the yeah, path. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some new story That's will pop up, and you'll be like, "Wait a minute, what the fuck?" That yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, and you realize that the more you the more you distance yourself from that desire to know the answer, and you just sit with the mystery, and allow the mysteries to keep coming, the more inspired you are to to really um, go out and learn more. And at the end right. of the day, you end up learning all kinds of things that you maybe didn't set out to learn, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That's kind of know. in a weird way. Yeah. it. My path somewhat was is similar in a sense like that, where I first picked up these Jim Mars books way back, like over 20 years ago now. And it was once I finished those, this was back when the internet was nascent. So there really wasn't nearly as much information. So I was like literally going in the index and being like, where the fuck did he get this thing about, uh, like, I'll be honest. This is like, this is how times have changed. Like, who's this David Icke character that claims the fucking queen is actually a reptile? Like, what is this? What is this? Chris? So like, I'm going in the index, like finding the book. And I'm like, then I'm going to Barnes and Noble. And I'm like, order this book now. I need to know how, 
Why yeah. the fuck this guy thinks thinks the queen is a is a fucking alien or a reptile or whatever? It was uh, yeah. yeah. So as you go down these further and uh, down these further paths, although nowadays in a sense it's a good time. It was kind of like it, it's a it's more treacherous world out there. There's a lot of it's very politicized and everything. So like I said, now David Ike, it's like there's some suspect shit about that. So. Yeah, uh, but when I was a kid, you could say when I was just getting into this, uh, had, had the paranormal mind of a child, if you will. Yeah, I had only just started. I was like, he thinks there's fucking reptiles that like wear a human cloak. Like, what the fuck? Like, I... <laughs> well, there are wacky and fun ideas that are also horribly problematic. Right. I think, exactly. I think, yeah. I think it's fine to still investigate those as long as you recognize it. You know. Um, right and, and 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 contextualize it in what you're doing you know absolutely uh, yeah yeah so i i mean you're always a hair's breadth away from something that's horribly offensive when you're dealing with the paranormal because it has a long history you know um, yeah of, of especially your problematic people that kind of either dip their toes into it or actually you're part of the scene and then it turns out yeah. they're like oh wait this guy yeah well that's the thing is <laughs> yeah. i think I suspect that if you go back to like when 14 times was, was like a really wacky publication in the seventies and um, like the high strangest of the seventies, when the, when the paranormal and occult milieu of the seventies culminated in like TV stuff, like in search of and all that stuff, like when it went, that was, there was a big wave of it back then. And this carried on through the nineties, I think where, it was almost like a courtesy and sort of an etiquette in the occult or paranormal UFO magic world. All, all of it, just generally stuff that you hear on coast to coast AM or something. There'd be like, there's an etiquette to it where people didn't really question each other's politics and stuff like that, or didn't, didn't really right, uh, yeah. each other down when the ideas were, were horribly, you know, because we, because you're all, we're all in it together, right? Was kind of the idea. We're all have these wacky yeah. fringe beliefs, and we're in a safe space where our, where we're not, our fringe beliefs aren't going to be questioned because, like, I'm not going to attack that guy because he thinks the moon landing is fake. As long as he doesn't attack me for saying Bigfoot is real, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But plus, it was a more quaint time back then because you could read an article from a guy who thought the moon landing was fake. But you couldn't like then immediately berate him within thirty seconds as right. you can now, with thanks to the wonders of the internet. <laughs> well, right. Back then, and you'd have is... to write a fucking letter. You'd have to you'd have to figure yeah. out where he lived, you know, or write a letter to Forty and Times and be like, "That guy's an idiot." Yeah. Now, well, thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. I can get online and be like, "Hey, fuckface, the moon landing wasn't fake at all." What's your problem, asshole? You know, it's, it's we've turned well, into a very forced society thanks to our ability to connect with people so fast. Well, I'm not saying people didn't fight with each other. They most certainly oh, yeah. did. I'm saying there yeah. was like there was a there's a, it seemed like there was a certain etiquette around um, maybe just like not call not calling people out. Like people call it like call out culture now or whatever cancel culture that kind of shit. Right, right. But um, but really what it is is like. I think people used to be able to get away with stuff a lot more easily in in fringe subjects by virtue of the fact that it was a fringe thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And people didn't question it as much and now they are. And, and, um, that's just, 
that's just people democratically choosing where they want to put their <laughs> put their faith in in any paranormal person is is uh, uh nowadays the politics plays into it more but yeah i feel like as recently as a decade ago you could hear like holocaust deniers next to people that were saying ufo disclosure was around the corner on the same show sometimes you know um and, and people didn't really blink at it they're just like okay you know like <laughs> yeah yeah it's but, it's yeah yeah and Maybe sometimes they were the same yeah. person you know like <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised sometimes yeah 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 well that is yeah yeah it's an interesting especially yeah with regards to uh the ufo disclosure route that's it's getting completely like broed out now to the point yeah i want really uh nothing to do with it and i don't know i'll probably be repeating myself on the year in review episode but i haven't actually re recorded it yet but yeah there's a part of me that feels and i said to you when we were kind of setting the show up i'm like let's not really even get into ufos but there's a part of the there's this is related to what we're talking about now not Per se the latest happenings or whatever but it's like i don't know if you remember sort of the old adage or the old sort of like musing for people in the ufo field when they were like uh when disclosure happens they're going to take it away from the ufo people and it's not no one's going to give yeah. a fuck what uh what we have to say i mean it's kind of gotten to that point almost now right they've like, already got there yeah yeah to me it's like you know it sounds antithetical to say in a way but it's like UFOs now have become so mainstream, they're almost not even paranormal anymore. And I've it's causing me to lose interest in that aspect, the whole UFO mm -hmm. disclosure, UAP stuff. That's fucking mainstream. That's like if they had found Bigfoot. I think I would be just like, all right, well, Bigfoot's out. Right. Like, okay, I'll follow up on the news about Bigfoot that they captured or whatever, but it's just not part of the world that of our world anymore of our world of weird well, and it feels that way right. with the uap stuff absolutely um and i mean it is funny to me because i think that there's so much of ufo culture in my lifetime in our lifetime has been wrapped up with like kind of the x-files truth is out there force the government to release the secrets and nowadays it's this like flip-flop thing where the people that are doing that are quote unquote whistleblowers from the government right and uh and that's how it's been for this whole time it's like spooks whose job it is to lie and hide things come out and and uh those are the people oh. bringing the truth to us <laughs> we're like no man those are the people we used to try to try to fight against right i thought <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i just yeah. thought so, today like of uh David Grush being kind of like the um, the the meme of Steve Buscemi from Thirty Rock, where he like walks in dressed like a kid with a yeah yeah one over his shoulder. Hello, fellow kids! But he's just kind of showing up and being like, "Hey, fellow UFO guys!" <laughs> it's like, where did you come from? Like, what right, the exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, wait, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's dispiriting as a longtime UFO buff. Uh, and, and not like in the sense, kind of like we were saying earlier, where it's like, oh, the band got, you know, I was a fan of the band back in the day. It's just like, I just don't really, you know, I just don't care for the band now that they're so, like, they, the band's changed, you know? It's that it's that kind of thing, in a way. Well, here's it's like, like not the same old band. Here's another pop culture analogy that I think you could probably speak to. 
because I've meant to write about this, but I always forget because um, I had I had a plan for it, but it didn't work out. So I may still yet, but um, I think of ufology in a lot of ways like uh, professional wrestling, right? And there's the kayfabe aspect to wrestling that wrestling fans love and know very well. But it's yeah. almost like if a bunch of guys showed up and thought wrestling was 100% completely real and everything that was happening on it was real. And they're yeah, like, oh, yeah. Can you believe that guy? Can you believe he just like <laughs> smashed that guy with a chair and just like. They really like, hate each other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that guy came back from the dead or something, you know, and believing <laughs> all the stuff that happened. You're like, dude, you know, it's a show, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 There is a certain amount of that nowadays, too. Yeah. With UFOs. With the, I always try to classify as the UAP, so whatever this new right. thing is. They, they can have it, you know. I'm a flying saucer guy myself, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's an interesting. It's just the audience is so weird. It's just a very weird, weird audience of people that, like you're saying, it's like a whole bunch of people showed up that haven't well, been almost be like glued in intended... to use wrestling parlance. I, well, I am curious in that analogy, though. I want to know what your reaction would be. So, suppose you showed up as a, a, at like a wrestling event, and it was billed as like a professional wrestling, and it, it looked, by all appearances, it had all the trappings, but the audience just sat there and studied it like it was high art, and they were all like, "Hmm, hmm, ah, I see." Like, <laughs> right. Well, there's part of that with the academic interest in the subject that's kind of sprung up in the last few years, which I also kind of find myself not having much of an interest in, just because it's like. To me, it, it I'll use a wrestling analogy that I've used before, where it's like there's different kinds of professional wrestling around the world. So there's like uh, American wrestling, which is like a, a melodrama soap opera. There's uh, mm -hmm. Mexican wrestling, which is sort of really acrobatic gymnastic style. And there's uh, Japanese wrestling, which is like portrayed as super real in a sense. Mm -hmm. that it's like a sport. Uh, they portray it as a sport. And the people who follow, there are people in America who just follow the Japanese wrestling. And I kind of liken them to the people who sort of just follow the academic ufology, where it's like, I don't have time for the silliness of of, of the disclosure movement and, and the UAP stuff and David Grush and Lou Elizondo. I don't, that's all silliness. That's all American wrestling. Right. I'm interested in the Japanese wrestling, which is the, you know, the serious stuff, the yeah. academics and the and the yeah. uh and, and the and the and, and their and their papers and their thoughts on this stuff and how many how many aliens can dance on the head of a pin and that kind of thing and and to me yeah. i don't find i really don't i kind of just observe both camps from above and it's like look guys the the serious ufo people can sneer all they want at the disclosure people but at the end of the day to bring it back to that wrestling analogy it's whether you're in america mexico japan it's still two guys in their underpants pretending to fight each other. And that's <laughs> what the UFO thing is, man. It's just flying saucers. It's still silly flying saucers. You can't break free from the trappings of of what we're watching here. So yeah. I, I find it kind of like, I just roll my eyes when it's like these academics talk about UFOs. It's like, oh, come off it, man. It's just two right. guys in their underpants fighting. It's just flying saucers. <laughs> yeah i think it's i think it's a good analogy but we, we said we weren't we said we weren't going to get into the ufo stuff no, get all salty we, on that you know we got a little bit but i i'll always pivot to bigfoot because we both love bigfoot i i was i was reading your piece i don't have the title in front of me but on the blog and what struck me 
this ties into what we've been talking about, I guess, sort of how things change over time, especially you've been in this for a long time. Talk about how, like, idolized Bigfoot, in a sense, mm-hmm. and how it's less of a zoological specimen, as quote, less of a zoological specimen, more of a rising spiritual force. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I see what you're saying there, and I kind of would attach in my own way the idea that uh, I think Bigfoot and you touch on this sort of at the beginning of the piece where you're like, he's everywhere. He's doing everything. Every group has Bigfoot has become like a folk hero in a way that it wasn't yeah. when we were growing up or, or uh, a folk saint, perhaps, you know, there you go. Yeah. Put yeah. the two ideas together. Yeah. 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 Folk saint, like a, I don't know what that would be like a Saint Nick, right. Or, a, yeah. or, a, or a Paul Bunyan or something like that. You know, it's yeah, sure. But, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, Bigfoot, it's really interesting in a way. And it's, it's refreshing and cool as a longtime Bigfoot fan mm-hmm. to see Bigfoot everywhere. Like people, people love Bigfoot. I think that's kind of a, a sea change from when we were growing up, when it was just like people didn't take it seriously and laughed at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bigfoot was always a gag, you know, <laughs> Right. Um, I think the big three were always Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, and Elvis sightings, you know? And yeah, that, that exactly, was kind yeah. Of, and, and, I mean, I, that's never really left left my... Uh, there. I've, I've gone through phases where I wanted to look at this more seriously. But, you know, Bigfoot, Elvis, and Nessie have never really left, like... Right, uh, right. Uh, they're they're all, all three in my heart all the time, you know? So, yeah, um, I mean, people yeah. will still like sneer at someone and be like, "Oh, you probably see Bigfoot," but it's like overarching in the culture, you can see that Bigfoot is like a folk saint, as as we've dubbed it here. It's like this, right? Because I mean, I feel like figure of myth. I feel like I see more more Bigfoot paraphernalia and yard decorations, like in people's yards or on their homes, than I do like the old Virgin Mary. Uh, shells that you used to see, like the oh the, yeah yeah you're right remember yeah. those and like the Saint Francis statues and things like that. Um, I feel like that's less common now than than ha- somebody having a Bigfoot in their yard, which is kind of wild, you know. Yeah, like there, there is an iconography that goes with it, and it is that is its own spiritual force. Um, however you want to classify it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I think you touch on this in the article where it's like Bigfoot represents something. I think maybe people are kind of yearning for in a lot of ways, like this connection to nature, mm-hmm. this sort of free spirit, this detached from the from the technosphere. It's there's a lot of qualities to admire in Bigfoot that yeah. I can see why people would really kind of uh, appreciate it now more than in the past where they hadn't really given a second thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, and I mean, one of my focuses in that piece, too, is uh, the different ways people identify with, with Bigfoot. And it seems right. like outdoorsmen and hunters like to, and then you see him in, like, the beef jerky commercials and stuff like that. So uh, he's often, Bigfoot's often portrayed as as male and very macho. And um, it, it seems a little ironic because the classic Patterson-Gimlin film, uh, Bigfoot named Patty, is, yeah. you know, it's well documented that that she seems to have breasts. So yeah, they named her probably Patty. Lady Bigfoot, yeah. So the best example we have, or the best evidence we've ever had, is is from from a, a female Bigfoot. So um, there's this feminine en- energy to it too. So I was kind of doing a comparison there with like um, 
Marian apparitions and uh, the Virgin Mary in general and, and Bigfoot and the concept of mother nature, basically. So, right, right. yeah. Yeah. It seems there's a thread there for sure. People should check out that blog post. Do you remember the title? I don't have it in front of me. I think it's, I think it's entitled, um, nestled in the holy bosom, the holy bosom of Bigfoot. Yes. Yes. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> the Bigfoot boobies post is what I call it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's a really, it's a really, uh, uh, I'd say prescient maybe or poignant or it's kind of hits, hits, a, it pings a lot of interesting ideas. Like I said, it's, uh, you definitely can see that Bigfoot's more than like a mysterious creature that may live in the woods. Now it's become an idea. Mm-hmm. It's become a concept in a way that it really wasn't up until maybe like 10 years ago or so. It's fascinating. I think it may have been, but again, it might've been something so fringe that people just didn't get into it. You know, like yeah. um, I don't remember who it was, but there there is, a, there is a small group in the Pacific Northwest that believes they can like telepathically commune with Bigfoot. Oh, I'm sure. They have this whole system around it. And I think it's related to UFOs in some way, you know, um, then you go back to like indigenous traditions anywhere in the world where they have some kind of upright hairy hominid. Yeah. They usually revere it as some kind of nature spirit or something like that, you know? So exactly. Yeah. 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 So, it speaks in a way, unfortunately, to like that Western idea where it's like, we need to get this thing. We need to capture it or whatever. Yeah. It's like, again, it kind of goes back to the idea we we're talking about where it's like when you step back from the mystery, the mystery kind of blossoms in a way that you probably wouldn't expect. And that's kind of, in a sense, that's kind of, I feel like people have, with the exception of TV shows and shit, you don't really, I don't see a lot of people going out looking for Bigfoot. Let's face it. They just don't. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe other, maybe every now and then or whatever. And then maybe like there's one or two groups every few, every month or so. Certainly not like ghost hunting or anything like that. So it's, yeah. it's almost like we've kind of given up the chase for Bigfoot. And in turn, Bigfoot has become more than this, this creature that we want to hunt down. He's ascended and become all, uh, all per- pervasive, pervasive. <laughs> but um, That's our big foot. and return to its roots in a way. Yeah, I would say so. Um, but I mean, that also gets back to, uh, you know, if there's anything I hope to achieve when I do write my, my weird nonsense posts that I write, it's, <laughs> it's that there are like a lot of different ways to think about these things. Cause if I'm, oh, talking, about, if I'm talking about Bigfoot as a spiritual force that doesn't, preclude the idea that there also could be a missing hairy hominid that oh, yeah, for sure. yeah. so i mean the both both can simultaneously be true <laughs> oh absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely so yeah. i don't want anybody to think i'm i'm ultimately dismissive of all that you know and um, no it's like santa claus was the real there was a saint nick guy that kind of serves as the basis for santa claus so it all kind of like you know there's a, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a spectrum if you will that you can kind of see um yeah, sure. I'm team team Santa Claus too. I mean, we're past Christmas now, so we don't need to talk Santa Claus. But <laughs> right, <laughs> theoretically right. past Christmas. Theor- uh, yeah, yeah, we're we're in that liminal state here. We're, we're uh, liminal Christmas, yeah. but yeah. uh, but I'm team Santa Claus. Santa Claus is absolutely real. So <laughs> he's certainly real. Yeah, he's certainly real in a sense, in in many ways, in many senses. I would say, yeah, it's an yeah. interesting. Um. 
It's an interesting concept for sure. Now, uh, talk about this blog post. I have this on the notes here because I was blown away. I'd never heard of this character, Timothy Dexter. You have a you have a blog post, The Journey of the Fool, where you mm-hmm. talk about two eccentric characters. I think a lot of people in the know who are listening to Banal of America right now probably know Emperor Norton. You can kind of get into that as you spill out this tale, if you will. But the, I was blown away because I had never heard of this Timothy Dexter character who was originated from Malden, I believe, Mass. Yeah, he was um, born in Malden, yeah. Which is right near me, uh, like a very long time ago, like well over a century ago, maybe even two. I don't recall off the top of my head. But uh, he, and he just a, a, an amazingly weird, eccentric character uh, that I had never heard of before. So uh, yeah, I'm a... t- talk about this dude. <laughs> when when I first discovered Lord Timothy Dexter, I became very fascinated very quickly and had to learn a lot more because uh, the more you learn about him, the more interesting he is. Yeah, he's uh, wild. I don't think he was necessarily a good guy, <laughs> but definitely a very wacky guy. You know? <laughs> and uh, prior to learning about Dexter, I already knew about Emperor Norton. Um, you know, being being an extremely devout Discordian, except for every other Thursday where I draw a religion out of a hat and devote myself to that. Uh, I know the Emperor Norton as as a saint of uh, Discordianism, and um, I can talk about him in a little bit. But uh, Dexter kind of seemed like Massachusetts, uh, the, the Massachusetts version of Emperor Norton. You know, he was yeah. that wacky. But he's also kind of the opposite of Norton. Um, this is a guy that failed upwards in the most spectacular ways. Yeah, but, yeah, that was the amazing part, yeah. Uh, one of the world's luckiest men, and almost to a supernatural extent. You know, <laughs> he really should not have been as fortunate and as rich as he was. Um, I mean, starting from starters, he was never a lord. He called himself Lord Dexter. He applied that, that uh, uh, honorific to himself. Uh, because he thought it sounded cool, but um, <laughs> or, or he even tried to make himself the king of Chester, New Hampshire, and they weren't happy. Yeah, that. I remember that. Yeah, I was in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he had to settle for Lord, but um, he, he lived in Newburyport, Massachusetts. He married a, uh, I, I believe she was a widow, or um, uh, or you know, kind of a a woman, a, a woman that was a little bit older that had wealth that pretty much everybody thought was going to be doomed to be a spinster and he married her right one assumes from for the money that's kind of the (laughs) the, to get the uh the dowry and and her fortune her family fortune um so that's not great but he becomes a a member of newburyport high society uh for those who don't live in new england newburyport is a coastal town uh, north of Boston, right. and it's it, like to this day is where a lot of rich people live. It's a it's a ritzy kind of coastal town uh, with some nice parks and stuff. But most of us can't afford to live in Newburyport. I don't think. <laughs> no, for sure. We can visit though if you get a chance. I don't know how recently you've been to Newburyport. I went there this summer, and uh, I I I oh I just it kind of just dawned on me that I should tell you about this because like I turned this corner mm-hmm. and there is a fucking like enormous almost airplane hangar sized building that is just like a giant flea market oh it adds some amazing things so if you're ever looking for new flea markets there's one in newburyport that it was enormous and i'm like holy shit this is crazy 
Yeah. So, and it was, I saw the only, one of the few things I actually would have wanted where I was just like, holy shit. Generally, when I go to a place like that, I kind of wander around. And if there's something that catches my eye, I kind of just like put it in the back of my head and then just keep looking and, and, and it'll keep kind of drawing me back to it. That's, I, I don't know, I don't want to pull it out now, but I have this like fucking volcanic looking statue of Bigfoot. Let me see. I'll show it to you because we're yeah. on the video. Like that, I found just I walked oh. past in a. They didn't have the Santa hat, <laughs> but I walked past, uh, and it's heavy as shit. Uh, when I was up in upstate New York at a similar type place, but um, yeah, I, I saw like one of those old timey, um, like scuba masks, you know, that have the circular bucket and all the things, and I'm like, oh, I want that so bad, but it was like five hundred bucks. Yeah, so I like, uh, I don't want it that bad, but yeah, it, it, if you ever get up to Newburyport, uh, well, I, I, I could I could pinpoint it on a Google map for you, but yeah, it's a huge warehouse, a uh, huge like airplane hangar size. Well, I was up there over the summer. I happened to be oh. in the area uh, for work, and I I had some time to kill, so I was like, I'm gonna swing by Timothy Dexter's house because it's still there. Nice. So I I just you know, parked on the side of the road and took a picture of it. And that's in the blog post that I wrote. And that's kind of inspired me to put that up because I had written it a while ago and I was like, yeah, "Yeah, it's time to revisit Lord Timmy. (laughs) Well, I thought (laughs) it was interesting. Yeah. That I think in the, it was Confederate times when this, Oh, was it? No, it was in the revolution. Revolution. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause he had somehow like, transferred all of the money from the wife to the new currency, but people weren't sure if the new currency was going to take off essentially. And then they were like, that, that it did. So then he became like an instant millionaire. Right. It was like, Holy shit. And I, and you, you point out the blog, like people couldn't stand him. So like you should sell coal to the the best, the biggest coal mining town in England. You asshole. And somehow they fooled him into thinking this was a good idea. And then that it worked out for him. Yeah. 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 selling, Selling coals to Newcastle. It was that already was in the parlance as a slang term for doing something ridiculous and stupid. And the other people in town were trying to bankrupt them. They're like, hey, uh, hey, Dexter, you should uh, send a bunch of coal to Newcastle, England. That's a great idea Uh, just to see if he'd do it. And he did. And the coal arrived in Newcastle just in time for a miners' strike. So nobody could buy coal. (laughs) from the mines uh and his ship shows up full of coal and he sold all of it so like uh anytime he did something no matter how stupid it was he would profit off of it yeah it's Uh, really wild ridiculous looking man he wore a giant floppy hat he had a tiny hairless dog that would follow him around he would uh pay people that were he would kind of pay people that were like hangers on to him just because he had money to like carry him around town, like uh, in one of those carriage things. Oh, Jesus. Like old Rajas or something would, you know? <laughs> yeah, like an emperor. And then somebody would have a, a like a guitar and be singing ballads of Timothy Dexter's greatness. His oh, my God. Was... So I can see why people couldn't stand him then. That's, that's right. Like, yeah. It's like beyond eccentric. Yeah, and his house was all decked out with statues. He hired a guy to carve wooden statues of famous people from history. and But then he would show up and, and like, micromanage the guy. And he would nitpick, oh, and he'd be like, well, I want. can you make it Napoleon, but can you make him, like, look like me? You know? <laughs> can you make him look more like me? And by the time the guy was done with his statues, 
the artists didn't want to take credit for them because they were hideous. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of like statues by committee in a way, you know. Right. Um, and and uh, so his house was awful. Like it just looked garish, and it had all these huge statues around it. And people in Newburyport wanted him gone, and they couldn't do anything about it. And everything they did to sabotage him only made him richer. So uh, this is a wild story. He's a wild character. Yeah. So. Now I'd be interested. Now what? When you went to the house, I'm all going to assume the statues weren't there anymore. It'd be interesting to track down what became of those statues. Uh, um. Well, nobody really knows because. Some of them, they got, some of them got wiped out by storms. Some of them caught on fire when the house caught on fire at some point. Ah, all right. Um, some of them were sold or auctioned off, we suppose. And I believe pieces of some of them are in like the historical museum in Newburyport. Oh, so really? You may be able to still see some of the statues in Newburyport uh, in, the, in their, I guess, historical society. Interesting. But, Next the house itself, check it out. Yeah, the house itself has been rebuilt like a couple times because there were multiple fires there. So um, it's built to look a lot like it would have during his time, but it's I don't think it's really it's kind of a um, like a ship of Theseus sort of situation. <laughs> you replace yeah, stuff yeah. enough times, it doesn't is it actually the house anymore? But um, right, right. Uh, I found out recently that almost became a headquarters for the Theosophical Society when um, Catherine Tingley was the president of the society, American section of the of the Theosophical Society because she grew up in Newburyport and she was looking ah. about that. And she almost bought it, but then uh, decided to go a different direction because it needed too much work to uh, to, to become a functional place. So, Interesting. Yeah. And now just like some person owns it. Yeah, I believe people live there. I think it's just like uh, a residence now. It may, yeah, like, yeah. might be multifamily because uh, a lot of these huge homes from colonial times in this part of the world have been divided up because no one family could afford to run a house like that, you know? Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So he was reviled, but Emperor Norton was beloved. It's like a, yeah. tale, of two, a tale of two fools, if you will. It's kind of like the idea of the blog post. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Norton had no money at all, and everybody took care of him, and everybody loved him. And uh, he just claimed himself to be the emperor of the United States and the protector of Mexico. Although it's unclear, <laughs> it's unclear what his duties as protector of Mexico were, but <laughs> <laughs> he would wander around town in like a military uniform, like a ragged old military uniform, and um, uh, yeah, he just showed up at the newspaper. Uh, office one day and and declared himself emperor and they're like well it's a slow news day yeah <laughs> exactly sure, yeah i'm sure you can relate to the slow news day tim absolutely yeah, yeah. i if somebody showed up except for that lady in canada if somebody showed up claiming they were the emperor of anything i'd be like i'm listening go on <laughs> but <laughs> this uh, was this was like when when about was this this was like pre-revolutionary war that he showed up no, Emperor Norton was after Dexter, so this would have been closer to the Civil oh, War. Oh, no, pre-Civil War. Pre that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Pre-Civil War. Yeah. So even way before the nineteenth, way before nineteen hundreds, even. Right. I think he died. In, yeah. He died in the late eighteen hundreds, I think, around yeah. eighteen nineties, sometime. So, um, 
Yeah, and I mean, thousands of people showed up for his funeral by the time he died, and he was really just a bum. If you if you think about it, he right, was just exactly, a bum. Yeah. But he would make his own currency, and people would honor it. Like <laughs> he could literally print his own money, and people would be like, "Well, okay, this is an empire, an emperor buck," you know. <laughs> yeah, it's that's kind of genius, though. If I ever, yeah, if you can win over a small town as their local eccentric, then. Be like, hey, here's a fucking Timmy Buck that I invented, and they'll take it. You've figured it out, dude. You've got yeah, it. I mean, you, you've what got else it do you, What else do you really need? Um, like, uh, I can't actually pay you for this, but I made these really cool fake bills, dollar bills, that, and you can have them, and you know, do whatever. Yeah. And people are like, yeah, all right, here's here's a gallon of milk, man. Awesome, I love this. Yeah, because he had almost exactly the opposite arc of Dexter too, because he started off with some money, like his family had money, and um, yeah. He was born in England and he came to the United States um, originally because he wanted to, to, it was around the gold rush in, in Southern California and he was hoping to prospect some gold and then decided he was better off becoming a merchant and uh, got a little greedy and ended up losing all his money. And then uh, his life was on, only better for it. <laughs> he was better yeah. off being, being poor and living off of, uh, living off the alms of the people around him, you know, so. Well, what's amazing to me, pointing out to that's kind of why I wanted to make note of the timeline. It's like people, he's still like relatively well known. Like even in San Francisco, I think they still kind of have a day for him or something like that. Maybe or yeah, he's certainly yeah. kind of part of the part of the of the of the culture there. Mm -hmm. Certainly in a way that Timothy Dexter never. Been. <laughs> I, I I was in I was in New Report this summer. I didn't even know anything about this guy, but uh, yeah, Emperor well, is, maybe is revered. There might be a Dexter revival someday. Maybe I can make it happen. Um, For sure, yeah. Like I said, he wasn't that, that likable, but, you know, people love a villain too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> He's just wacky. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mentioned the Discordianism. Um, in the Principia Discordia, Emperor Norton is is listed basically as a, as a saint, like a proto-Discordian, yeah. you know? So um, he, he's, he's, got, he's got an honor honorific there and and people are are uh still very enthusiastic about the emperor i think there's a society around emperor norton like a preservation society dedicated to archiving him and stuff and See, i think that's there's like amazing right and i think there is one for dexter as well within the uh, newburyport historical society and they tend to be a little bit more charitable than I am in their assessment of them. Yeah, you're being real mean to Dexter here. I, thought, I liked I him. I didn't think he was that bad. I, well, I, I, I do love the man for his weirdness, but like I just kind of think he was people. People had had their reasons for not liking him. I mean, he, to pr to prove who was actually his friend, he faked his own death and held a funeral at his house. And his wife, like, I forgot all, all about that part. Yeah, his wife right, knew what yeah. was going on. And then he basically like beat her afterwards for not being sad. Oh Jesus! Himself. It's like she knew he wasn't really dead, and she, I guess, he expected her to act or something. But okay, it, I missed know. that part of the blog post. Uh, right. I, I don't know if I, I, I put remember that the funeral in there, part. Okay, I, rem I, I remember, remember the funeral part. part, but the the beating, the beating. All right, that's not cool. Yeah, smacking the wife around is never good. But um, uh, what was? There was another. But he part faked there. his death. That's pretty wild. That's like pre fucking Mark Twain. That's like pre that whole story. The 
Huckleberry Finn or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. you know that's crazy that he that he actually did the thing that later became. Well, he wanted he wanted to see who was just hanging around to for his money and who was actually his buds. You know how people behaved when he when he didn't, and not that many people showed up, and it might have just been not many people believed that he actually died, but. It's entirely possible. Like by then, he might have had a reputation. People like, oh fuck, fuck him. He's not dead. You can see him right there. He's he's peeking out the window. He's in the window. Yeah, yeah. Uh, How much did he pay for this fucking elaborate funeral? And he's he's already ruining it. Yeah. Oh man. But he did have a pretty good showing at his actual funeral. A lot of people showed up, and maybe some of them were dancing on his grave. But um, I I do appreciate. What's this? Is he buried in Newburyport? He is. Um, he he wanted to be buried in a tomb on his property, but they didn't let that happen. So I'm not actually sure where his grave is, but it can't be too hard to find. Um, the other thing about him that's great is he wrote a book called A Pickle for the Knowing Ones. And he considered himself wow. like a great philosopher. This? Yeah. A pickle, a pickle for the knowing ones. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And he considered himself in it as the first in the East and the North and the world's greatest philosopher or something like that. Um, He invented his own spelling and his own um, way of writing for this book. Like none of the book words are spelled in the proper English way. Oh yeah. I remember the excerpt. Yeah. 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 And and he used no, no punctuation at all. And uh, sold out the first edition, so they had to print another one, <laughs> and it's still in print today. <laughs> there you go, yeah. So the man couldn't fail. Um, it really is, yeah. It's amazing. He was more or less universally disliked, and uh, Norton failed miserably, but lived comfortably off of everyone's good graces. So it's kind of an interesting comparison of the two men, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a. I really love that. It was uh it was a quite the journey of a of a blog post yeah and emperor norton had a little dog too right well he was pictured often with dogs um there's a really famous cartoon of him with a pair of dogs which were celebrity dogs in san francisco at the time san francisco (laughs) i guess san francisco has always been a place where they just love little oddities and stuff yeah so um, there were a pair of stray dogs that were named uh bummer and uh oh man i can't remember the other one remember bummer but there were two they were pictured in the yeah. in, in this one cartoon and apparently they didn't really have any association with the emperor they just made this cartoon with them next to each other um well they I were the, that, they were probably like the city's three resident ragamuffins like yeah pretty the, much yeah they were the three tramps of san francisco the two dogs and this guy yeah, the cartoon is big. Oh, Bummer and Lazarus were the dogs. There you go. And um, in the cartoon, Norton's getting food from like a buffet table, and the dogs are basically begging from him. You know, um, <laughs> I, guess, I guess when he saw the cartoon displayed in the window of a shop, he got so mad about it, he started banging at the window with his cane until he broke his cane. <laughs> oh Jesus! So Norton didn't like it very much, but. Uh, uh, I don't think it's that he disliked dogs, but uh, he didn't like being associated with them, apparently. So, uh, well, yeah, I think if you, yeah, if you were like, you're, if you're like together as the three tramps of 
San Francisco and the two if the other two are dogs, I could see how that might be kind of like, hey man, I'm just Emperor Norton, man. I'm just trying to yeah. just trying to get by. Why are you being a dick? Well, he's also the emperor. I mean, you gotta show exactly. a new deference for the emperor of the United States. Um but I mean he did actually, you know, correspond with world leaders too. <laughs> like, like Queen really? Victoria took letters from him and Lincoln took letters from him. Like they at least there was some kind of humored him. What's that? They just humored him in they at least humored him in a way. I guess, yeah. Yeah. They didn't they didn't uh didn't brush him off. <laughs> so any well, it's interesting, of, yeah. yeah. It's an interesting time. It's like right. of what is celebrity, yeah, back then in a way. He might have very well been Almost like a national celebrity, if, if, if in a sense, to anyone who was blessed enough to be able to know what's going on in the nation as a whole. You yeah. Know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, there were stories about him that got national attention. You know, um, so so he was known outside of San Francisco as well. You know, I find it amusing. You mentioned uh, Dexter wanted to be buried in a tomb on his property, but they wouldn't allow it. I find that in a sense, pretty hilarious, because we're talking about, like, the right around the, after the Revolutionary War, and it's like, if you couldn't get away with doing whatever you wanted back then, you must have been really fucking hated by the community, because I think, I, I just kind of imagined it was pretty laissez-faire back then, it was just like, look, I'm gonna get buried on my property, but whatever, it's your property, yeah, man, do, do what you yeah, want, but the I fact mean, they wouldn't let him is pretty, pretty wild. I think a lot of those coastal towns, though, were full of uppity rich people, you know. So yeah, they, there's a religiosity too, where it'd be like, oh no, you can't get buried on a hill. You have to be buried in a in a right. proper graveyard or something like yeah. that. And it's a pretty mean thoroughfare. Like it's on High Street in Newburyport, so it's a stone's throw from um, where like that shopping plaza is, and yeah, yeah. in the park and all that stuff. So um, it's a gorgeous you know, town. People probably had their eyes on it and didn't want to deal with having to move a tomb later. <laughs> like that, no, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's like, dude, yeah, yeah. When you're we're going to wait until the widow dies and then move yeah. in and right, build exactly. a thing there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to be dealing with your fucking dead body uh, buried on buried on my property after after, <laughs> your, after your wife dies. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, people check that out. The uh, the journey of the fool is the blog post. Now I mentioned to you we were setting up the interview today. Um, now it, kicking to the liminality, I guess again of this episode. We're this is the first, I guess you'd say, quote unquote, real Ben All of America of 2024 because uh, the first episode people will be hearing this year is the year in review of 2023. So we're here in 2024. I do kind of want to do a little, in a sense, year in review. First, I want to put you over, man, because you. Obviously, everyone knows I'm like a paranormal news fiend. That's that's what they pay me to do. So I'm I'm yeah. constantly live. I live in the river of the paranormal news. Um, I'm floating down it like a lazy river every day, just reaching into the water trying to pull shit out. And uh, you really, I don't think you ever intended necessarily to be this way, but you really established yourself as a fantastic source. For weird news, I I can honestly say in 2023, I probably, you know, I got a, a, several stories from your Twitter feed uh, yeah. that hadn't crossed my path yet, and I'm like, oh, what the fuck, holy shit, you know, I'm gonna write about this. This is wild. So, and believe me, it's it it's 
it's hard to find good paranormal news sources. So your yeah, your feed is is tremendous. Um, you know, and then you run stories that I find on coast to coast that you hadn't seen yet, or you mm-hmm. know, so we kind of help each other out, and I appreciate that in a big way. Um, but I got to I got to tip my cap to you, man. The the stuff that you're doing, you know, it's just fantastic. You you really have a great eye for weird news um, and and strange strange stories from around the world. So uh, yeah. I, I know how hard it is. So I have a real appreciation for your skill at the art of, of, of cultivating weird stories. Yeah, um, I do try. I mean, I, I would rather be like writing more than I do, but I'm also like, you know, kind of a news junkie for weird stuff. And I, and it, I think of it the same way. Like a lot of the stuff I do share doesn't really have a paranormal bent to it it's not like right, all right. ufo sightings and you know the ghost caught on camera because i mean there's a lot of garbage online that oh frankly, absolutely yeah you know it's just bad stuff you know and I, I know how to avoid that uh and a lot of stuff i find isn't like that at all but i do find articles about like a species that wasn't recognized by science before it might be a spider or a small lizard or something right right it, but that that is tangential to cryptozoology, so I like to throw that up there too. Um, weird pop culture stuff, uh, weird people, eccentric people, and, and and anything paranormal that I find too. So um, uh, I, I often will just stumble upon them. I end up just finding them and in, in posted in different groups, or I end up on these weird little rabbit holes and want to find out more information about something. Yeah, yeah, I find that sharing. happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, so were there any particular stories that stood out to you that this year that crossed your path that you were like, I fucking love this story, uh, or I love, you know, I love this crazy thing that happened. Yeah. Um, my, my top, top story of the year for me, my favorite is the nebula that was shaped like a question mark that was caught by the new telescope, because to me, that's an uh, amazing, uh, uh, just just an amazing perfect encapsulation of the mysteries of the cosmos in one photo from space yeah uh, because it almost looks like too good to be true like it was that's yeah i was gonna ask you that not that i think that they faked it but like do you think that that's kind of like part of me the romantic in me i suppose you could say part of me wants to think that's like a message from the ether like that that's that they that's precisely what I think. I think like yeah. we have this telescope that can see. I mean, we're talking about like I think I, I looked it up earlier just to see how far away it was, but some absurd distance, like three thousand light years away or something like that. Right, right. I don't and even it just know started how it, running recently, so it's not like it, I think that's part of it in a way the weird serendipity of it. It's like that it was one of the first few photos I think that came out from this thing. Yeah, well, it was it was back in August, so they they had been doing it for a while. But I think the news, the, those photos, the the ones I'm specifically talking about, I think that the, the uh, earliest articles I found about it, specifically referencing the question mark shape, were around the beginning of August. Yeah. But um, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's almost like you're looking as far out into space as you possibly can, and you're asking the question like, "What's out there?" What if I go a little further? What's if you go a little further? And then you end up getting your answer and it's a question mark. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
And to me, that's what all these mysteries are. Is whatever, how, however many doors you open at the end of it, you're going to find a question mark, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's, it was, a, it was yeah, a wonderful, yeah. like, uh, cosmic symbol that just appears there. Uh, just, just perfect. Absolutely perfect. I was so enamored with that and I shared it online. And <laughs> I, feel, I feel like not that many people responded to it. I'm like, do you people realize how cool this is? <laughs> you know? Well, like you but, said, it looks too, it almost looks fake. It almost looks like, again, I don't think it was fake or anything, but it's, 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 it stretches believability almost. It's like, what? That's like, what are the odds? And I, those are usually my favorite stories too, where it's just like, what, what, it, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, and I mean, this thing's got to be huge. I mean, it's a nebula. It's, it's, a, right, right. it's a system it's of uh, gases and small planetoids and stars and things. So, um, uh, um ah oh crap, I was going with somewhere with that. <laughs> All right, well I'll jump in and just yeah. It was it was a fantastic thing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Wonderful to see. Yeah, to me it kind of looks like if you're playing a video game where you're in a spaceship and there might be like a question mark there because it's <laughs> it's directing you on the screen to do another thing, you know. <laughs> yes, you haven't unlocked that part of the universe yet. So it's like Or it's like movie credits. Yeah. And the movie credits are rolling and it's like the end and then the end goes away and there's just a question mark like yes <laughs> the yeah end? It was, it's all yeah it was like cinematic yeah <laughs> it's weird it's really weird it's the i get excited about joke, right these just space real... advancements yeah yeah, yeah. And I, it does show it. how yeah how we really don't know even though it even though presumably it's just a natural phenomenon, it carries mm-hmm. with it that message that you just we have no idea what the fuck is out there. Right. Um, and it's it, that is the whole the whole d- the way we've discovered so much. It's interesting. I always kind of like as I get older and shit, it just happens so slowly in a way. Yeah. Uh, this idea that like when I first got into this, I've told this story before. This is no diss on Steve Bassett, but uh, I talked to him to, when I was going to the original X conference, like in 2002, just like 21 years ago, um, or 2003, that's 2003, so 20, 20 years ago. Um, and he was like, I was shit. I was like in my early 20s. And he was like, oh, you're only like 24. You're You're going to be going into space. You're going to be flying around in rocket ships and all this other shit, and it's like, dude, I'm like four, I'm gonna be 45 at the end of this month, being January, so yeah. there, folks. Uh, and <laughs> and so, and that ties back to the whole thing where what's the, I'm not really 45, I'm gonna be 45, like in fucking few weeks. So, but here I am, and I've never been to fucking space, and I'm never gonna go to space. Um, the opportunity to go to space, even if it ever becomes super commercialized and easy to do like flying in a plane that probably won't be for like another 20 years so now you're talking like i'm going to be like 65 i'm already there's no way they would let me go on one of these <laughs> well you never know Shat- now shatner went up there and he's like 90 that's true that's true but he yeah. seems like he's in a lot better shape than i am even though he's <laughs> <laughs> he's 90 well, you know, he got up there. They let him on the ship because he's a national treasure, and so are you. That's Tim, true. So you're oh, a national geez. treasure. They'd make it happen for you. <laughs> be like a stowaway. 
But yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, that's the that's the weird thing. And I was giving Tyler Coach on some shit on our Christmas show about it too, where it's like, because you've kind of been you've been in this for as long as I have. You also kind of see like this fridge thing where it's like, oh, nanotechnology is going to change the world, and oh, they're going to grow livers on the outside of a fucking rabbit's belly, and you're going to be able to get a new liver, and they'll put it. It's like, bitch. It's been, it's been fucking, it's been like 20 some years you've been telling us this shit's going to happen. Like, yeah. when when am I going to get my new liver? Well, they are making um, artificially made meat now, I guess. Ah, there you go. <laughs> that might actually be useful, you know? I could see that. That could be, yeah. yeah. You know. But, I've never yeah, had I, the, I want uh, I want some of that Star Trek technology, though, you know? I want a replicator. and uh. A replicator would be good. Make me a cup of tea or whatever, whatever I want from the replicator. <laughs> you know, yeah. a holodeck. A holodeck would be cool. I guess that kind of exists in some way, but yeah, they're kind of coming up with that with like virtual reality and stuff, like I suppose. But transporter. That's why we don't have that yet. We can't beam down to planets and stuff. No, no, we can't <laughs> do anything particularly really awesome. That's. Like, the best thing is, is I have a, a little Alexa in my house that can tell me, like, what the capital of Iowa is if I need to know right away. But I yeah. don't really, you know, or I have to look at it on my phone. But I guess we're spoiled in a way. You see these things, and it's, uh, it's, it's, we're so used to having this information at the tip of our fingers that now it's become commonplace. And it's yeah. like, what more is there? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I still like my books. <laughs> Can't go wrong with a good book. Right. Uh, but I was saying this to Steve Berg back on our revival show way uh, back in the summer where it's like, I think maybe a part of this interest in the paranormal in recent years does have to do with the internet in a sense where it's like you, we have access to information now that you, it's much easier to find out information about shit that known yeah so if you wanted to like know everything about australia you could like do it in a you could like find out you just go to wikipedia you could find out like in an hour you probably really pretty much get a thumbnail look at everything you need to know about australia we're back in the day you have to go to the fucking library you have mm-hmm. to do all kinds of research and everything and do a lot of reading now you can get it done like in an hour or something and that, i think maybe that might be part of what fuels the interest in the paranormal it's like it's still these are still the things we don't hear the things we don't know. Like, yeah. Where is this thing? What what is this Bigfoot thing? What is uh you know, what is behind the UFO phenomenon? Are there ghosts? What happens when you die? So these are still the questions we still don't have answers for. Yeah, we probably never will. <laughs> so that's why I say get comfortable with the mystery, you know. Exactly. Exactly. But I think that's what I think that's maybe what fuels the interest in a lot of this from you know the modern uh, people in a sense, the contemporary yeah. culture, if you will. Yeah, and things have a way of going viral, you know, um, and and reappearing. You know, all it takes is somebody uploading something to the internet, and somebody with the appropriate amount of reach promoting it a bit, and now all yeah. of a sudden it's a household thing, and people know about it. You know, um, podcasters start doing podcasts about it. <laughs> it's like the flat earth. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the flat earth was intentionally done. I think that was, I have a conspiracy theory about the flat earth. Let's hear it. You know I'm a flat earth aficionado. I think it was promoted by some people. I'm not sure who they were, but it was promoted as sort of a psyop to see what kind of thing, how ridiculous we could get people to believe in, what are the limits of ridiculousness if we're going to start a trend of people believing strongly in something absurd you know interesting Interesting. how much can we just tilt tilt the scales toward insanity and (laughs) get away with it you know yeah well taking that theory to a different level it's like one wonders if it was like a a a prototype for the QAnon thing yeah that's kind of what i'm getting at yeah yeah i think i i've long thought it was a dry run for QAnon we're like, if we can get this to catch on, then we know we can get momentum with any wacky idea that we come up with. Right. Know? And what are the techniques and methods that work? Like, what is, you know, because I yeah. think uh, the, most of the flat earthers, apparently there was a, a rudimentary study, uh, sort of a survey mm-hmm. um, at one of, at the flat earth convention a few years ago, not the one I went to, but uh, a researcher asked people where they heard of it. And like out of 100 people, 99 said they heard about it through YouTube. Right. And one the one remaining person heard about it from his girlfriend's dad who heard it from YouTube. So it was like <laughs> crazy. And as you know, yeah. As you know, there was a storied history of flat eartherism. So like all of those arguments had uh, are well documented that they yeah. the ones they're spouting now are the same ones they were spouting back in the eighteen hundreds, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um with the Nothing has changed part. about the fucking shape of the earth. That's the that's the weirdest part about the conspiracy theory it's like how you gotta prove it or you don't dude like how much (laughs) how much more research can you fucking do on this on this thing yeah and i mean wasn't there some rapper or something that like yeah bob or bob something like that yeah Yeah, get confused but that sparked the modern right mainstreamification of of uh and that's that's what kind of makes me suspicious it's like you had one person that had just enough reach to like plant the seeds and then they just sat back and watched and they're like what's going to happen now you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> like can we get this to catch on and uh, and if it does then we can try something else even more absurd you know um yeah or more we weaponized you know so yeah exactly it's a tough it's a tough time for the world of conspiracy it's uh it's not fun anymore either it's kind of like what i was saying about ufos it's conspiracy well, two- gone mainstream and it's not really that entertaining anymore well, the two are intimate, re- intimately related because now all of us old heads in this that have been called conspiracy theorists, tinfoil hat wearers, um, made fun of for our interest in UFOs. Now that UFOs are chic, we're still called that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, those two things are, too, are, are very much held together. And nowadays, like, you know, um, People on UFO Twitter will have accused me of being like a paid shill to, to <laughs> debunk, and and they do it to Jack Brewer too. Like, and, uh, you know, all these. Yeah, yeah. They consider him to be haters. Mick West is 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 getting paid to um, discredit UFO sightings. Like, oh man, <laughs> I don't think that's how it is. I haven't got my paycheck. I'm waiting. Yeah, no, it's whoever's cutting that check has really forgotten about me. If they need my address, they can DM me because I could use it. You know, 
Yeah, that whole idea, like, yeah, that that extends to, like, the whole thing, like, everyone seems to be, everyone's on the payroll of George Soros. It's like, dude, no one's getting fucking paid. Like, I don't know where you, I don't know where this idea of, like, people, you know, like, maybe some high-powered asshole might get some money, but it's certainly not fucking the, uh, the rank-and-file people on Twitter or whatever. It's just people with opinions. No one's fucking, like, yeah. and the funny part is, it's like, you think that wouldn't make people wouldn't that, that wouldn't be exposed somehow? Like right. <laughs> there's a, a funding the term, campaign. The term conspiracy theory is dead now to me. Like that doesn't mean anything anymore. And I yeah. mean, it used to always be that um, the way I always understood it, and this may or may not be true, but they always used to say like they invented the words, the, the term conspiracy theory to describe people that didn't accept the official story about the JFK assassination. Yeah, that's always the story I heard too. Yeah, yeah and that well, they the, popularized the, it. Like that yeah, they kind of like put it into the yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was originally designed as as a derogative term. It was originally supposed to be something to discredit people, you know. Right, right. And it's always been a fringe thing, but um you, you simultaneously have people in the UAP world seemingly um validating what conspiracy theorists have always thought that the government never stops studying ufos and all this other stuff and they have some secrets right. that should be validation for the old school conspiracy theorists but now when you don't trust that the official sources and whistleblowers and the elizondos of the world and uh the pop punk musicians are telling yeah. being straight with us and giving us the straight dope on this now we're paranoid and we're the bad kind of conspiracy. Yeah. It's very yeah, strange. Exactly. It's a weird yeah. turn of affairs, you know? So. Uh, yeah. The whole field has been turned upside down and it's really strange. Yeah. Uh, and and people, <laughs> and people online use the word conspiracy theory. Like there was a funny tweet a while ago that went viral that somebody said, I heard a conspiracy theory that the Loch Ness monster is actually the ghost of a dinosaur. And since yeah. it harms no one, I choose to believe this with all of my heart, you know. Um, but that's not a conspiracy. What's the conspiracy? There's no conspiracy there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, for the that's record, what, it's a funny joke. Like, I, I laughed pretty hard when I first saw it. But um, but people use the conspiracy theory like that. Like, they think, like, uh, a ghost sighting is a conspiracy theory. And you're like, no, no, you're just being really fast and loose yeah. with that term now. It doesn't mean right, anything. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's, then you see yeah. you see examples in Congress of people that are the dangerous kind of conspiracy theorists, you know, um, yeah. talking about Jewish space lasers or whatever else, you know. Uh, it's it, It's insanity. We have elected officials that believe insanity. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty wild. It's it's gotten very strange. Believe me, I I never thought I'd see like this the UFO phenomenon occupy the thoughts of anyone of any significance in Washington in a way that it is now. Uh, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But it's it's very off putting. Yeah, I mean, who profits from it though? I mean, who benefits is the real question in politics with that you know um, it seems yeah. like a, a both sides of the aisle have been involved um and and you have to wonder like is there is there monetary interest there i mean i i came across something uh, uh somebody had, had posted about david grush 
being um, having a financial interest in a in a contracting agency for the Defense Department. So it's just kind of like the very kind of contractor that would get a contract for studying UFOs if the right, bill goes through. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's these people are no, all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the whole point of the UAP programs is to funnel money into the into the Department of Defense, and that's all they want. And if they can't do it that way, they do it the old-fashioned way by starting a war somewhere. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah, that might have been. That might, who knows what's going on with all with with the tensions around the world as it is. Yeah. Uh, well, the two things that kind of came to mind while you were saying that is one, when you say who benefits, this Burchett guy. Like he was a nobody until he started spouting off about UFOs, and now he's yeah, risen now up he's to yeah. yeah, he's risen up to like a star level congressman, uh, mm-hmm. and and with offering his opinion on actual real issues. And it's like, dude, I don't give a fuck what you think about any of the other stuff, man. You're you're I've already heard you spout off about UFOs, but somehow he. He's his, he's raised his profile like insanely by being the UFO guy, so he certainly is happy with how things are going. And and mm-hmm. I I've heard the I agree with your argument in a sense, and I've heard it plenty, and I I'll probably have put it forward myself, where it's like it seems like just kind of a cash grab by the uh you know the the, the military industrial complex, if you will. And like I just wish for once someone would be like, you know what? Fuck you. We give you all this money. You should already know what these things are. Like, right. why? You don't need more money. We gave you, we give you tons of fucking money. You should already be able to figure this out. So you right. don't need more money. Like, how much money do they need? That yeah. kind of drives the part that drives me nuts. Yeah. That and their shitty fucking cameras. Like, yeah. it's, you know, and radar. It's and better cameras, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how much do these jets cost? They cost like multi-million dollars. Maybe get something better than a ring camera on it, and we'll know what these things are. Yeah. I mean, and that's another term that you hear thrown around a lot, but military-industrial complex has been around as a term for a long time. I mean, that comes from Eisenhower, you know? Yeah. Um, And and a sitting or a president that was leaving office Use that word, and he said we should be aware of that and be wary. Yeah, warned about it, yeah. And um, and, and we should have back then. And I mean, um, right. Not for nothing, but when when Eisenhower was president, there was like something like crazy, like a ninety percent tax rate on corporations, and oh, wow. <laughs> uh, that your average taxpayer didn't have to pay that much and that's why yeah that's why you can have a single income family of uh living in the suburbs you know yeah yeah um that was possible back then so uh now we're now we're on the complete opposite end of that these corporations pay nothing elon is nothing um uh you know bezos is not paying anything close to the rates and the percentages we pay as your average joe Right. And the Defense Department is squeezing every little bit of that as much as they can. And that, that yeah, machine yeah. always needs to keep going. The machine always needs to be perpetuated. And the uh, the gears of that machine are greased with the blood of the people that die as a result of those weapons being deployed. So, yeah. This it's, took a dark turn. <laughs> it's, a rotten, it's a rotten situation, but... 
Let's talk about something that you do uh, that you do love <laughs> and is more more lighthearted. Uh, you've kind of become affiliated or associated or synonymous with donuts. Yeah, donuts is your thing. You're like the donut guy. Donut um, wizard, I think, is is <laughs> the oh. preferred nomenclature. Okay, but... <laughs> I, I humbly I humbly apologize, <laughs> Lord Hopewell of the donuts. Well, you have the show, um, the, the Holy Donut. Yes, tell me about the holy. And I said to you the other day, there was, there's no. I felt bad. We did video a revival. Your show has revivals, and there's no. It was just a complete zeitgeist sort of a synchronistic. Yeah, turn of affairs. So, you know, yeah, it was we just yeah. we picked the same word for the show. I mean, you've had it. You've had the same name for your show for a decade or more. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the revival now and that's great because it's that's what i got is the holy donut revival hour mm-hmm. um with my good friend sj um sj and i have been friends for a number of years and the donut has always been a symbol for us because it began with a joke that we should have our own tv show where we go on ghost hunts and visit paranormally significant locations and then try the local donuts there that was oh, our pitch for a tv show and <laughs> This has evolved over time where we've we've seen we've seen the light and we understand that uh the donut is actually a holy symbol. So uh um that our YouTube show and we both went to YouTube too. That's the other funny thing. That's also a yeah, yeah. way to think about it. The holy donut revival hour on YouTube is SJ and I um getting real getting real weird and wacky with all this stuff that yeah. uh that been all of America fans will enjoy so you can check us out over there uh we're booking guests now we haven't had any guests yet we've been yeah. kind of testing the waters we have three up three or four episodes up and one well we'll probably be more by the time this episode airs but uh yeah, yeah. it's a video not, show right yeah uh, yeah it is video yeah. which, which is kind of cool uh sj does all the editing and so without them i would never be able to do the show uh <laughs> um yeah it's uh, complicated i barely barely know what i'm doing on here it's a good medium because when we talk about we'll go on weird tangents and then we can kind of edit in an explanatory video in the middle of it oh that's cool and they're really good at putting images in you know sometimes just the picture of the book i'm referencing or uh oh nice yeah yeah so um the video medium helps us out a lot uh we may do an audio version and if some people have asked us to, so we might see if we can do some kind of audio version too for podcast feeds. But as of right now, it's on it's on it's on the YouTube, and you can find there us on go. Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We have accounts for those. Yeah. So. See, you're an old man like me. You call it the YouTube. It's the, the YouTube. I do that on purpose. <laughs> oh, I, I do I do it by nature. So it's. Gotcha. But, I usually say the YouTubes. It's a oh, a, there you yeah, go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's a whole different world over there. I forget when it like dawned on me, but it was like I think I read like an article about someone that was a big YouTube star. I didn't realize that like it's it's a it's a whole different universe of of stars and people that are celebrities that young people love and I've never heard of, and they get more people watching their videos than watch network tv and i watch i'm like an old fogey i'm like you don't well, know who you don't know who julia roberts is but you know who 
Jake Paul is. This is so weird. <laughs> well, it's weird because all of these different corners of the internet are their own little worlds. They're their own. Yeah. Little so, I mean, just posting on Twitter all the time for the last however many years, that was my main social media source. And I've had to branch out ever since Musk took over because it's got yeah. really unreliable and, um, and frankly, kind of bad. You know? <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, it's I will say, I mean, I don't know. You're more frequent. You're more an active participant in what's called weird Twitter. I kind of uh, I barely use Twitter, to be honest. And I just so but I but from what I've been in when I participate in weird Twitter, it doesn't seem as bad as if you leave that bubble. Anytime you go to like any news article about anything with politics or social issues, it's a, it's turned into a complete fucking cesspool of a site. Uh, well, yeah. And I mean, un, I'm un, unbearable. I've been getting, I mean, I think I wear my politics on my sleeve pretty well. So, I mean, people know right. where I stand and I get, I, I, in the last two weeks I've gotten um, promoted posts from Bill O'Reilly, Fox news, the epoch oh, times. Um, like, yeah, yeah. The, and, and I'm just like, am I being trolled by the advertisers? Here? <laughs> on Facebook, I'll get I'll get advertisements for um, you know a TV show that I was just talking about. So like my phone was listening, right? And it picked up on it somehow. Um, yeah. At least it's relevant to something I said. But on yeah, Twitter, yeah. it's like I'm getting ads for like all this right wing bullshit, and I'm like, there is no way that that interests me on any level. Like, what yeah. are they doing? I, I've blocked many accounts like this. Like I blocked Tucker Carlson. I was very close to blocking Elon Musk, but I like to keep an eye on that that particular uh, jackass. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I actually I did. Yeah, I blocked was. him, but luckily yeah. or unfortunately, you can't avoid his fucking shit anyway. So oh, you can't. Like, you, You'll see screen. You can have him over. blocked, but then when you're looking at the news, it's like Elon Musk said something super fucking stupid, and it's like yeah. you can't block him from life. It's a it's a cruel fucking irony that yeah. within a year or two of us ridding ourselves, God willing, of Donald Trump fucking dominating the news for saying and doing stupid and hateful fucking shit, that here along comes fucking Elon Musk to fill the yeah. void oh, yeah. and become the hateful, stupid fucking dude dominating the news. It's like... Yeah. Man, we can't catch a fucking break. We really can't. Like I said, everybody likes having a villain, I guess, you know. But right, uh, And there right. are people that, that are fanboys, too, which is astounding to me. But um, Yeah, that's really weird. I don't the point I was trying to get to is that okay, they're all different corners of the Internet. So I've had to branch out, and it's like you go on Instagram, and you're like, oh, who's this person? I've never heard of them. And they're like, oh, they got like 100,000 followers on Instagram, you know. Right, right, yeah. And, yeah. and then you end up, like, meeting people via that you know i i ended up meeting a bunch of people that only use instagram like um like my pal todd purse like yeah he's a he's an artist he's really cool uh he draws these little cartoons and um and i talk to him sometimes but he's only on instagram it's the only place i'll find him that's wild uh, but he's got a big following there and and i made friends with him there and it's like he's not going to come over to twitter 
So it's like any of these oh, things. Oh, yeah, Nellis is over Twitter now, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, there are people that just, while they're at work, have YouTube on, on background all day, and they have different channels right, that right. they're always listening listening to. So um, uh, YouTube's its own little world, too. All these yeah. different avenues or different places you can, you can go. It's it's really wild how um, how much you branch out in each one, you know? <laughs> And there's plenty of weirdos out there to meet, and they're not all on Twitter, I guess. Is Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, I asked you, I told you to have this answer for me for the show here. Now, what? You're the, you're the, what is you, what are you, the executive director of Donutry? No. What is the? <laughs> of the Donut Czar of the Donut. The Wizard. Donut Wizard. Donut Wizard, yeah. Yes. So what is, if you can choose, what is your favorite kind of donut? What's your preferred you know it's, you go into a donut shop what are you gonna get yeah there's a complicated answer to that because good uh, a- aesthetically the strawberry frosted donut with sprinkles is the best choice like the good pink frosting yeah like multi-colored that. sprinkles and it's like pepto-bismol uh, but it tastes delicious yes yep and if, if i were to buy a donut that i wanted to take a selfie with i think it would be that like the oh yeah it's very photogenic yeah, it, it, it's a beautiful looking donut. That's the, um, as far as the taste, it's like uh, I'm not really the sweet, fruity taste. Uh, uh, like I would prefer chocolate taste wise. So yeah. um, that, that's where I would go for that. I think one of my favorite donuts ever is there's a place called N&J Donut in Oxford, Massachusetts, and they have okay. a Texas donut there. And it is Ooh. quite literally a donut the size of your face. And oh, it's wow. a regular old <laughs> chocolate frosted donut, but it is the size of your face. Wow. And I think that's probably my favorite donut. And and yes, I will eat an entire one. So. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Uh, okay. But I'm, I will not say no to a Bismarck or a coffee roll. Those, those, are, those are pretty <laughs> close. They're pretty close with donuts to donut cousins. Yeah. See, they, I'm uh, they're in the donut family. Yeah. Maybe maybe you would know this as the donut wizard. Uh, I'm I don't know if this is I'm sure there's a regional bias here, obviously, but mm-hmm. I'm of course uh, partial to the Boston cream. I always go with the Boston cream. The combination of the donut, the dough, the chocolate, and the fucking cream. It's it's a it's similar. really good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. What I was wondering as the donut wizard, do you know obviously New England Boston cream, you're going to find it everywhere. Is the is the Boston cream available, popular, sold around the country or is this a regional delicacy? I'm pretty sure you can get Boston. I think Boston cream is just a flavor now, you know. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think you can probably get it anywhere, uh, but I I'm really not sure now. Now now yeah. I'm intrigued. I don't know. But I think they have like Dunkin' Donuts all over the country, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So, and I know but Dunks has it too. But <laughs> that would be my preferred. And I think I, I think I tipped you off to a comedy bit. Uh, I don't have the guy's name in front of me. I apologize. But he did a whole shtick on lemon donut, and it, and I became like a lemon donut enthusiast after that. And as he pointed out, it's like you're taking a, a shower. It's like this. You feel fresh after you eat a lemon donut. It's it's the lemon, the powderiness, again, the dough. It's, again, another perfect combination of flavors. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I haven't had a lemon, lemon donut, donut in a long time. Yeah. 
Um, have a lemon donut. It's yeah. Now, have you ever had like the mochi donuts? They're like these. They're kind of weird shaped, but uh, I think it's like a Vietnamese style of donut or something like Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah, no, uh, I've not had a mochi donut. Um, so there, there's a lot of like new independent donut shops popping up. Oh God! Play, you know because donuts, donuts are like the new craft beer. Yeah, uh, well, there's actually a place in Worcester that's called Donuts and Drafts. That's what they have is donuts and beer. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so um, I've I've tried all kinds of exquisite donuts lately, like maple frosted with uh, bacon on bacon. it. Yeah, that's a popular one. That's, yeah. a, that's a good yeah. one. The one. See, that... I like I I I like artisanal donuts, but the, not when they take it too far, because uh, then you're just kind of like overwhelmed. Away. Yeah, you got to split it with somebody at that point. Oh like, yeah, there's a place in my town, Rocco's Donuts. I think they're you know Rocco's Donuts. What? It's like yeah, their flagship is in my hometown. I didn't okay. know there was one out near you know. Yeah, there's one in my town, and they have one yeah. that's like fruity pebble covered, like it's like yeah. a frosted donut on the top. It's just like a fucking layer of fruity, and, and you see it again, much like the strawberry donuts, very aesthetically pleasing where you're like that is colorful and cool and i want to get it but then you get it and you're kind of like i'm just kind of chewing on like dry fucking dry fruity pebbles yeah um and it's not a a great i I wouldn't want to do that yeah yeah as Uh, ridiculous as this sounds it has a terrible mouth feel you're just (laughs) like well that's important I don't, really don't want my fucking donut that. to be crunchy. I don't want yeah. a crunchy donut. Well, I like a little bit of crunch, like you know, the a little bit, bacon. but not a layer. The one has the bacon, <laughs> or the one the one that has crumbled Oreo cookie. I could do with that that you know, because it's crunch, but that's, then it kind of yeah. That's a good one. But yeah. um, this brings me to a question I had for you. Yeah. Um, would you consider, as part of your YouTube channel, doing short video segments where you eat questionable snacks? Like weird snacks. I would definitely places. consider it. I'll say right. this since the new year. I'm kicking around an idea of 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 a spinoff yeah. show in a way. Yeah, kind of like Danny's title. reaction show, but you're reacting to food like like the weird off brand snacks that, that Oh, I talking. would absolutely do that. I love any novelty snack, any like market research snack where they're like just introduce it into like the Boston suburb. We'll see right. how it does in the Boston suburbs, and that's. You could link up with the distributors and, like, the, when they're sending these out, just have them send them directly to your house, and then you could do videos for them. That's I, that's, I, what, I, that's what the kids do these days, Tim. You could have a little spinoff show. I, I'll definitely. Yeah, I should keep that in mind as part of the spinoff idea. Like, to yeah. that, cause I, you know, I would definitely do that because I do. Anything that's like new like that, I will immediately buy. I'm a huge sucker for. Yeah. I just bought ham flavored chips. You say? Yes, I just got fucking spaghettios doused in red hot, and it was disgusting. And I, I didn't even. I had like three bites, and I'm like, this is fucking nasty. Um, because I don't even like spaghettios in the first place because they have sort of a tang. This is like a tangy flavor. Oh yeah, it's almost tangy, right? It seems like it's. Like got metal in it or something. Yeah, yeah. It's got. I don't like the flavor of spaghettios whatsoever. So I'm like, oh, maybe this red hot will cut that 
taste down, but it's like, no, now it's just fucking red hot flavored. See, this is this is precisely the kind of information the public needs from you, Tim. This is the kind of reporting you <laughs> need to be doing. This is this is why God put you here. It was, <laughs> we need the spin-off show. Questionable snacks with Tim Banal. And, yeah. uh, you can give us the you can give us the straight poop on what these things actually taste like and whether or not we should try it. You know. I'll definitely consider it. Uh, I'm 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 both excited and disheartened by the way that some of these things become <laughs> like look you used to have just hershey kisses then they came out with like hershey hugs which is like white chocolate wrapper now you go to the fucking store and it's it's like 80 different kinds of hershey kisses it's like i yeah. can't keep up with all this as a person yeah. who wants to sample everything this is uh, you know they're gonna throw me out of the grocery store gonna be open on all the bags I'm like let me just try one fucking mint chocolate chip flavor hershey kiss i don't want to spend eight dollars on a fucking bag if it's disgusting Right. So yeah, maybe I can be doing a public service in that sense. <laughs> I think so. But more than that, you could probably just write directly to like Mars Candies and just have them like send you all of their prototypes, you know, <laughs> do oh, little promo videos, you know. So <laughs> I will, uh, I will definitely give it some thought. Now you put out a little book, a small book. I don't know what you call it, a book, right. a little ebook, yeah, an ebook, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, earlier this year, uh, talk a little bit about that, plug it so people can check it out. Um, yeah, that's on. Um, you can find a link to that on my blog page if you go to the published works section on the sidebar there. So um, anything I have published is over there. Uh, uh, the book itself is free. If you want it to be free, if you want to, if you want to throw money at me, I won't stop you. It's you published go. through a um, service called Gumroad, and it's called um, Strange Words for a Weird World. And yeah. that's uh, it's just got it's got a handful of writings. It's got some poetry because I used to write a lot of poetry, so I wanted to put some poems together in there. Um, it's got a few essays. It's got kind of a kind of a bit of a satire piece in there. You can read about how George Lucas actually caused the Mandela effect by reading that book. Um, is, the, is this the Han shot first thing? Yes, yes. The special edition was what fractured reality and caused people to remember alternate alternate timelines. That's that's in there. That's in the book. You can read all about it. So, like um, yeah. So it, it is. It's pay what you want. Uh, there that's was one very, very one very kind soul gave me twenty bucks for that book, and I hope he didn't regret it. I was like, oh, geez, I hope he paid me like a dollar a page here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got pictures. I put some illustrations in. Uh, and any of the, you, you know, the illustrations are all my own artwork, too. So I just kind of nice. put together a melange of things I've done in a booklet. And it's really um, people can pay me if they want to, but they don't have to. And everybody can benefit from it. And you can find the link right there on the site. So yeah. Now, beyond that, have you... I don't want to diminish this, but I mean, have you ever thought about writing? Maybe I feel like you and I have maybe a similar problem in a way where it's like, because look, at, people have been on my fucking ass to write a book for years. Yeah. Um, I actually had somebody say like, once you write a book, you'll be legitimate. I'm like, fuck, motherfucker. Like, I only write for like, in, uh, you know, the biggest fucking radio show in the country and have been broadcasting for 18 fucking years. Like, yeah. how much more? I don't, you know. How much more legitimate do you need me to fucking be? But it, it's like, to me, the challenge has always been finding 
one like I think if I wrote a book, it would be a bunch of different little things. And to me, yeah. it's like I can't quite put my mind around that just yet. Because there's a part of me that would like to write that book that's like about one fucking thing, but I have no I don't have that thing. You know what I mean? I love all this shit. I have an interest in all this stuff, and I'm always kind of bouncing around to all the different subjects. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you um uh I think for you, like, if you look at, like, the old, like, Frank Edwards books or um, some of those books that are just kind of a collection of stories, like, that might be fun for you to do something like that, you know? Where yeah, that would be fun. Like, the fa- your favorite things that you've covered, you know, um, and, and kind of write about them and how they're similar to each other, different. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Like, you could have a whole chapter on strange things left on people's <laughs> doorsteps that you've covered. <laughs> <laughs> the mashed potatoes or the TVs and like it's, you've had a few good stories like that. So, um, but yeah, well, I do I have, find myself, I don't know about you, but I do find myself with years finding myself more fucking fascinated almost by the strange things people do yes, than almost yeah. the phenomena. It's, right. it's like people are as fucking weird as the paranormal man, probably weirder. Probably like, weirder. They do shit. Every year I wrap up the year and I write down all the craziest stories for Coast to Coast that I covered the year. It's like, how did that even happen? Like, right. how? Like, I cannot believe this thing happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. And I mean, I think the paranormal stuff really is like a reflection of people in, in a lot of ways. So um, people are yeah. always going to try to one up it. It's like something seemingly paranormal happens. And then there's always going to be that one guy that's like, hold my beer. <laughs> going for it right, it's even right. weirder than that you know yeah yeah cool. uh, yeah but yeah to answer your question i i keep being told i should write a book um don't you hate wife, those people no no <laughs> oh no that's how you want to say you're I'm my wife. To one of them, so, uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm very ha- you know glad that she's so encouraging but she's always like no, that is write a book, you know yeah. um and uh and people tell me that Oh, I was joking recently with 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 our mutual friend Black Wolf, you know Black oh, Wolf, Black Wolf Donald, John Oates. <laughs> I like about that. Uh, about Whitley Strieber, and he said yeah. that I needed to start talking more like him. So my wife Pam, my muse, told me <laughs> I need to write this down. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that'll maybe that'll I'll I'll just work that into my repertoire and yeah. Uh, start referencing her all the time and then I'll, I'll just i'll end up writing a bunch of books so um no offense to whitley if you're watching this sorry whitley i didn't mean to make fun of i'm you. sure he's cool I, I only made fun of you a little bit but <laughs> um yeah no i mean the, the it's i the my problem is that i come up with specific ideas for books i want to write but then i also want to write my blog posts i want to keep those going because yeah um it's important to me to cover all the subjects i want to and also i work full-time largely for idiots and that can be very stressful and um and uh leaves me with very little energy at the end of the day so (laughs) no i know what you mean yeah i know what you mean it's uh it's tough to find the energy to do to, to, to write uh to really dedicate yourself to a project like that, you have to really fucking has to really capture your imagination and kind of, um, you know, really fucking just become your obsession uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I haven't nothing's really obsessed me yet. 
not I've got I've got two or three things that I probably could focus on that much and write a book about and um but it would require me being independently wealthy or at right, least able right. to have more free time than I currently do and uh I'm not going to be able to fit in writing a book in my while I'm not at work hours if I work too many <laughs> You know, like yesterday, I worked 12 yeah. hours. You know, at the end of a 12-hour day, I'm not sitting down to write. <laughs> right, exactly. It's not happening, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, on that note, it's getting late in the evening here. It's 11-11, actually, so make a wish, uh, everybody. Oh, yep. Yeah. And uh, we'll wrap up the conversation here. I feel like we could talk for a long time. We have talked for a long time, not just tonight, but when we hang out, we end up chatting, obviously, the whole time and yeah. talking about all this stuff and uh even more usually there's, usually there's more beer involved and uh uh weird locations yeah Sometimes yeah pizza. yeah <laughs> well I'm, I'm 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 thrilled that i could get you on here for uh the boa revival um you know last when we had you on uh we were joking about it but like when we had you on last time it was like your first appearance so it was like all right let's kind of hit all the yeah let's hit all the ap strange um highlights you know um mm -hmm. We touched on the clowns a little bit, but uh, tonight, but it was like clowns, Elvis, let's do it. And, and when we came into tonight, I'm like, it was kind of tough because you're like, anything you want to talk about? It's like, I kind of just want to have a conversation to see where it goes. And that's what that's what happened tonight. And I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, it was two hours. Was, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. And I like, I, I think the only thing I really had in my notes was this Bigfoot thing and the journey of the fool and uh, a couple of uh, pretty much all the stuff I sent you. Just like three or four things like, all right, let's just hit on these four things. But and the most in my important, mind, that was like, yeah, the most important the donut. Yeah, the donut question. That Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I can't thank you enough, man. As I said at the beginning of the show, you're a great friend. Uh, I hope we can hang out more in 2024. Um, you know, there's lots of opportunities for adventure. I was, you know, I, I, I was, I, you know, I'll pitch this to you here on the show. Like, we should fucking go down and just spend the night in the Lizzie Borden house sometime. Yeah, I mean, why, I why not? I, I know mean, a guy that lives there, so we can make that happen probably. Yeah, yeah. we should do yeah. that. I mean, it'd be cool. We can't camp out at America's Stonehenge yet, but who yeah. knows? His, yeah. When his son takes over, <laughs> the America's Stonehenge guy didn't seem very accommodating to foolishness and hijinks and and, and eccentrics. So, but yeah. it's, I think I think he's grooming. The next generation of America's Stonehenge, and maybe when his son takes over, he'll be like, "You want to camp in the fucking back? Sure, all right. Here's here's how much it'll cost you." But yeah, well, we're so, definitely oh, gonna find that that rock, the Dober Demon spot. Yeah, right. yeah, and we'll document that for our respective YouTube channels so people can, yes. uh, and we'll fucking know it. We, we want to like actually put a pin on it so people can, much to the chagrin, we could add of, it to. Uh, We'll, we'll add it to liminal earth and that way there'll be there coordinates go. there yeah 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 well we were joking because much like newburyport dover's kind of a little bit of a posh town it's like boy they must like fucking hate lauren coleman because like there's two there's two eccentric looking weirdos walking down the road looking for a rock that a that a fucking alien looking creature a crawler as nate brislin yeah. would classify it Hanging I'm sure out rock. Seen plenty like, of yeah. plenty of people in outdoorsman hats uh, walking yeah. around. The the official cryptozoologist hat that they all seem to wear. 
Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it was great to have you back on the show, man. I really love the conversation. Like I said, hopefully we can have uh, some some more adventures in 2024, and uh, we'll we'll catch people up on on those uh, when you're back on the show in the future. Hell yeah! Here's to 2024 and to our respective revivals. There you go. <laughs>